Um, I can speak for how, how e-commerce sites work, especially in Sweden, but I know that at least more advanced one like Amazon wouldn't do it like that, I don't think. Yeah. And uh, I mean, just as any kind of coder that, that we both are, you know, we are very dependent on being able to search efficiently on Stack Overflow, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, for sure. And we would be <laughs> completely lost if that suddenly goes down, which actually did, I think, recently, which was really annoying. But... Don't you find it surprising how well you can just search in natural language and it finds stuff on Stack Overflow today surprisingly well? With mm -hmm. just natural language, like, I don't understand. How, how can you fix uh, the JavaScript script bug uh, when it blah, 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 close something? And you can write in natural language and, and still understand it, right? Oh, yeah. I, I, to be honest, I don't search in Stack Overflow that much. Like yeah. primarily I would search on Google and then I get like the Stack Overflow yeah. link as a result, yeah. to be yeah. honest. True. Or else I would do like, uh, what works really well, like if you have more like, like, uh, like internal question, I think it's like searching on, on Slack. Because mm. someone is going to have probably had the same problem where you can search like for like some error message on Slack. Mm. And then you're going to find like some other person like asking the, the question about it. So I think that's right. like, uh, <laughs> I think that's like actually what I do yeah. more, like searching on Slack or searching on Google and then. Yeah. If you go into Stack Overflow from Google. So, and and you, Slack, you're going into a sp specific community channel for a specific um, area or code. What, what, what Slack are you searching in? Or in general? Yeah, in general. Like, I mean, uh, like internal, like the Spotify Slack. Yeah. But I, I mean, I, uh, internal I mean, Spotify Slack. Yeah. yeah. And we have this, I mean, we have this support channel. So maybe I would go to a support channel if I, but I'm often I would probably just search like, uh, like any channel. Yeah. yeah. But just as you said, basically most like internal searches, if it's for an e-commerce or if it's on Stack Overflow, usually Google is so much better in finding stuff anyway. So you even want to avoid using the internal search functionality and just, yeah. you know, write, you know, site colon, whatever. And yeah, then, for sure. Right. I agree. <sighs> yeah, it's, it's a bit annoying and it's a bit scary as it's well. It's annoying that they're too good. It is, exactly. Mm. But of course, I mean, they're, they're such a big company and there's such a big search focus. I mean, yeah. if you have uh, like a smaller e-commerce site or something, I mean, of course, like they're, I don't know. I mean, they're probably not building their search themselves, I assume. Like they mm. buy it from someone else and it's, uh, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah. Uh, um, a side note, is there, uh, is there even a competition when you use now in, in cars, uh, Apple oriented or Android oriented uh, navigation systems? Um, I used to have uh, Apple car. So Siri, she was terrible at finding the way or finding Ika or whatever. And I'm actually very, very happy with the Google based approach I'm using right now. I think it's, mm. I, I don't know. I, I think it's uh, multiples better. I, Should, this is my opinion. Yeah. What do you I, think? I, I'm happy to go into Apple versus Google if you want to. <laughs> I don't think we should go down that rabbit hole right now. <laughs> but you open up uh, the rabbits, uh, yeah, rabbit hole a bit here. But, but going back to the search question, and, and I think, you know, you mentioned at some point that, you know, at some point you, you felt like the Google search functionality is really improving in an impressive way. What did you mean with that? Well, it was like a very specific thing. Like this was almost a year ago. Yeah. So I was watching uh, Santa Lucia, it's like Lucia Moron, mm -hmm. when they have this, like the, the performance close to like, is it the 13th, right? On, on December. Yeah. And it's like every year they have this like, the, um, yeah like the, the singing and like the, the choir. Yeah. So I was watching that last year, like, and I didn't watch it live. I watched it like as was recorded, um, uh, like a bit later streaming it with the, with the family, with the kids. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, and then uh, I think it was from Yukasiavi, so very far up north in Sweden. Mm. And then they were showing like some more some like they were showing some scenic photos like of of the nature, like the sun and and, uh, and the snow and so. And then the sun was rising. Yeah. And I was watching it like so I didn't watch it live, but I was watching it later on. But I know it was like had been had been aired like in the morning and being recorded. Mm. I thought like it's like it's no way like the sun is rising at this hour in Yukasiavi. Like when is the sun rising in Yukasiavi? Yeah. So I went to Google, I started typing like sunrise. Then like the query suggestion, like the query autocomplete for me in Google was sunrise Yukasiavi. <laughs> so it was as if they were reading my mind. Like how would they know that I was yeah. that was what I was looking for? Like I mean, how often do I search for sunrise Yukasiavi? I've never done that before. And how do you think they actually knew that then? Well, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I don't know, but it must be as like, uh, like first you think to read your mind, but it must be like other people like also watching. Yes, assume like it's other people also exactly. watching the same yeah. thing. Yeah. Then you know, like this like is real time. This is like a trending search right now. Because mm. other people want to, yeah, also like, I uh, think it's like. I mean, probably it, true. Um, a lot of people just acted exactly as you did. And, of and course. they just added that uh, city and, and that's why probably it has some kind of real time kind of understanding of yeah, it. Yeah, but, for sure. But it was impressive. It was mind reading. So yeah, but I think I think back of it, I guess it's like it's it's probably not that like, like it's I mean it's it's not that hard. I guess like it's probably was a real time like trending, trending search. real time search. But I mean, but the feeling of it, like to me as yeah. a user, was more like the first is just like this is like they're reading my mind. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, is, yeah. It's, is the microphone on here or whatever? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Do you get scared by that? Are you are you a person that uh, turns off cookies, for example, when you browse? Or no, I'm not. Uh, <laughs> I'm not that scared about that to be honest. Yeah. yeah. So you, okay, but because a lot of people say you know that they prefer to turn off cookies and they have the cookie law, law from GDPR etc. And yeah. and and you know I've been working in um, in advertisement you know before before I worked at Spotify as well and and to me actually I think since I I, I know the the purpose of it at least from some point of view is to really have good adver- advertisement which is actually something that helps me I, I get I get annoyed if I get you know the wrong type of advertisement yeah so in that sense i think it's even better if they understand more who i am and can actually personalize more my both search results and ad results but this this is sort of the uh, endless uh, conversation and argument we can have like Mm. the benefit versus the cons and all that yeah i think i was getting this like you notice retargeting advertising when you go to something and then you don't uh, you don't um you don't buy it like and Mm. then you then you do something and you like surf around the web and then you get this like this constant like uh, advertising for a thing you didn't haunting buy. You on oh, the yeah. Haunting you down. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had it also like happen with my, so my wife was getting me uh, like a birthday gift, I think. And then I kind of know beforehand because I started <laughs> getting this ad. So it wasn't only like cookie based, I guess, like but more like some IP tracking as well on your, mm. on your. So yeah. then it's like, it's like the defeating so, the purpose. What, what do you think about the search engine quality of different um, e-commerce sites in Sweden, perhaps then what's your thinking about them. Well, well, I mean, we talked about it like this, like, I mean, uh, often like it's better yeah. to search for Google and then, uh, cause yeah. they're going to have a better and then like do a deep link into the, to the e-commerce side. Yeah. But I, I mean, mean, you mentioned the, the lactose free kind of experience that you spoke about, you know, in the beginning and, and I guess the, yeah, the sad truth is that most Swedish companies, at least today don't have the understanding of how to build a search engine or how would you rate, you know, like the standard quality of search engines for Swedish companies today are? Oh, <laughs> I mean, it's hard to say. I mean, I think, I mean, most of the time, I think, I mean, they're doing, they're fulfilling what you want to do. Mm-hmm. I think, I mean, this like the lactose per milk was, uh, lactose free chocolate was, uh, I mean, it was hard to find what I was looking for, but most of the time, otherwise, like it's, I mean, it's, uh, 
it's doable, but it's mm -hmm. uh, of course it feels there's a lot of room for improvement. Mm -hmm. Especially I think there's like the online grocery shopping because that's like often you go there and you're gonna buy like a ton of things. Mm -hmm. Like some things are really nice. Like it, it remembers like your past, uh, right? Your past like shopping, Bad, yeah. yeah. So like, I mean, so you can like repurchase that or I like, guess update it. So I mean, that's like that's a convenient thing. Uh, but I mean, then when you're gonna do this, like I'm gonna buy like I have twenty things I'm gonna buy and I. Yes, like you're gonna go over them. Um, mm. Like that experience, like isn't isn't that pleasant always? Do you believe that at least for Google, you know, that they went you know straight for search as the main tool to find information? And before Google, we have the Alta Vistas and also the old Yahoo kind of things. Do you remember Yahoo still back in the days, like in nineties uh, and beginning of two thousand, where you had like. It's kind of catalog and you browse through different topics. And yeah, I know it, but I don't think I never really used uh, Yahoo. Oh, you're too young. Yeah. <laughs> it's just us are too old for this kind of but thing. I, but I definitely used Alta Vista before Google. Yeah, yeah for sure. No, but it, it seems like the, the whole like extremely simplistic search you know, functionality that, that Google and other search engines provide is being, you know, is starting to dominate more and more rather than having to click through to find some things. And I guess the same in Spotify in some sense, right? Or, or would you say that there is a trend to see that, you know, just using search to find what you want instead of having to navigate through to find what you want? Is that increasing in a sense? Well, there is, the, I mean, there's a home tab as well, of course. Like, I mean, yeah. if you just wanna, like, I mean, there's search and there's a home and there's like yeah, your library. Yeah, your um, own like my library kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, with that, I'm very honored to have you here, Anders Schneemann, an old friend and colleague that uh, also uh, worked at Spotify when I did as well. And um, you have done so many amazing things uh, as well, bef even before Spotify, you know, with different websites and, and actually, you know, web scraping, which, which is something I actually more or less did my PhD on or started to do very early on as well. I know I was, uh, <laughs> you could help me with some things on the web scraping side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so many cool things. Uh, so with that, it, it's a true honor to, to have you here. Um, and uh, perhaps we can start with a quick introduction. How would you describe yourself? Who is Anders Nyman? Yeah, first, I mean, it's my pleasure to be here. It's uh, super fun to, to be here. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I'm uh, like, I mean, I'm a, I'm a father of three, uh, married, living in Huddinge. So, I mean, I, I mean, I grew up in Helsingborg, but then, I mean, I think my professional side, I mean, I'm an engineering manager at Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been at Spotify for soon 10 years. I think that's like, I mean, uh, <laughs> like the most, like, uh, like I guess the most relevant uh, identity for, for this, uh, this talk. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. But you did a number of things before you joined Spotify, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, Can I mean, so, so something I was thinking of, like, since this, like, uh, I didn't know if we talked about it beforehand or if you know, but I mean, so I did my master's thesis on building a expert system. Right. Uh, so that that's was, like, super uh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let's start there. Yeah, please elaborate. What did you do then? So I was, um, that was at Cisco, uh, mm. in, um, in, um, in Santa Clara. Uh, so it was like, uh, like we were doing it part of the first, like part of coursework, like, yeah. uh, um, and then like that, I got extended an internship. So we did like, um, a master thesis, uh, myself and a, and a friend. Yeah. Uh, or, yeah. Um, is this UC Santa Cruz? Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah. So, so I did, uh, I, I started in Lund and I did like a one year exchange in Santa Cruz and then, uh, What year is this? Uh, 2006. Oh. Uh, and then in 2007, did a master thesis at, uh, at Cisco. 
together with like um, an, um, like another like, uh, like yeah, a friend like who started industrial engineering. So we had uh, yeah, we did that together first like as, yeah, some coursework, and then like it got extended into a internship, and then we did it like for our master thesis. And then like the, what we did then was like building an expert system for more like uh, like I was like targeting like to more like the support organization. So we were getting like a lot of um, like customer like issues like around like um, misconfiguration of uh, of routers. So it was like about like trying to detect like the like automatic detection of like issues in router configuration. So it's more like uh, the expert system was like uh, defining rules on uh, or constraints like on the on the router configuration, and then like when they come on in a new like misconfiguration, if it's like common patterns, like they would like quickly identifying like this is like this is this cause. Mm-hmm. So remove some of this like the the, the easier things to. to and identify. perhaps we should also define you know what is really an expert system and how does it compare to to like traditional AI systems today? Perhaps. Yeah, it's uh, that's a good question. And mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm the expert because I didn't really know about expert systems when we when we did this work. But I guess that's more like this like thinking is in like codifying like some experts' knowledge like of. Uh, like building more, maybe more heuristic rules on uh, to quantify someone's someone's knowledge. Mm-hmm. Right. And how how would you? Okay. Let, if I phrase it like this, if you were to redo the system uh, that you built then, the expert system, would you use some kind of different technology uh, today? Yeah, that's a uh, that's a good question. Mm-hmm. I think. I mean, to be honest, I think it's like the setup wasn't that bad because it was it was more um, like they had is like very specific like issues coming in. So it was more like uh, how do you then like uh, match. I like, I mean, so when they like, say that you have this, like the support personnel, like, uh, like the customer support, like looking at it and uh, identifying that this is a problem, mm. like how do you then like codify that, uh, that issue? Mm. Uh, so I don't know like if, like how much need, like is there, how much need there is to generalize like between different types of issues. If it's only about this, like there is this super common issue, like in router configuration files, mm. we can then make like a, like a script. By like codifying like that knowledge of the human experts, like to know that this is the problem. Mm-hmm. And every time there comes in a new router configuration file that has a problem, if you then have that script and you run it over it and see, yeah, it's this, uh, it's the same problem again. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, that feels like it should should be able to solve it. But it's a, it's a good question. I haven't really thought of it to be honest. <laughs> okay, so if we think that that system would scale up to 10x or 100x it's at some point you know to manually encode the rules would be a bit uh yeah. painful right yeah no of course i mean if you have more like uh, like if you could learn the rules automatically i mm. mean that's uh, of course like it's uh, it's super interesting if you yeah. can or like these are misconfigured router configuration files and then like without needing any mm. any knowledge about it like it's more like yeah it's like you know it's like has some uh, mistake in them if you then they can automatically like detect that uh yeah, exactly. yeah. I mean, at least some people uh, define expert systems as these kind of hard-coded rules that you manually program and more like symbolic kind of AI rule and, or logic-based <laughs> systems that, that people believed a lot in, in the 80s and perhaps 90s as well, but then really didn't like scale in, in some way uh, for yeah. more complicated solutions at, le- at least. Would you agree with that? Or Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But isn't it a little bit like horses for courses? Like in, in, in some concrete use cases, in some areas, it, it, it has its usefulness, but of course it doesn't scale in, in generalism and complexity. Mm-hmm. Then, oh, well, it's too much coding. Um, I think you know, it, the simple answer is that um, Occam's razor rules, you know, the, the simplest solution that um, that works is the best one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if it works to, to manually encode something, awesome. That's great. Then we should simply do that, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
And it's good. I mean, it's a, it's a good as a start as well to have like this and then maybe right. you can improve on it later on. But I mean, having something that's like maybe starting with the heuristic that you manually encode, like, I mean, that's not a, not a bad way to start. Yeah. Awesome. And after the, what happened after the master thesis? Uh, yeah. So then I, uh, I moved, moved back, uh, to Sweden, finished my studies. And then I, uh, I started working at uh, the Swedish space corporation. So moving mm -hmm. to, moving to Stockholm, that's when I, when I moved here. That sounds really super. A Swedish space uh, corporation sounds Avenger stuff. So <laughs> what is it? So it's this, uh, do you know S range? I know it, but I don't, I know the name, but what is it? I don't really know. So it's just like, uh, I guess like it's called like satellite base or what do you call it? But I, I mean, it's like the, it's like has a satellite communication, but it's also like a rocket, the launch yeah, rockets sure. and, uh, this is what I mean with Avengers. It's a cool site, balloons. right? Yeah. That's, you, that's where you want to be. That's your, your HQ. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I mean, so, so S range is part of the Swedish space corporation and, uh, but that's like more the, like more operate like the satellite operations and it's like the, the rocket and sounding, uh, it's sounding rocks, I think is the name. And then, uh, like the balloon experiments, but then you also have like more development arm sitting in, uh, in Solna mm. at the time. Um, so that's, that's what I joined some more like uh, satellite, uh, satellite development. Mm. And, and what did you do developing what kind of satellite software? So, uh, well, I mean, it was like a lot of different things. Like yeah, it's part of like the European, I can see European space uh, agency. And then there's like the, so it's like a lot of the, the work you do is like coming from these uh, European space agency projects. Right. Um, but then, I mean, uh, what I worked on a lot was also like a more a Swedish satellite like uh, called, uh, called Prisma. Yeah. I know Prisma. Yeah. It wasn't that one of the first satellites we sent up with uh, TV3 and all that? Is, that? is that Prisma satellites? Maybe there's like, I think there's two satellites. I think there's a different one as well. Because <laughs> this is not, uh, this is not, uh, I don't know if that one is that one, but because it's not a, not um, a com this is not a, like, this is more like a scientific mission. It's okay. not like a telecommunications. Not, not a telecommunications satellite. Yeah. So I, uh, so I worked on that one. I worked on, uh, I worked on a telecommunications satellite. I worked on like some more simulation software. Like a few different things, but I mean, but I, but I joined to be, I joined that as, as an embedded systems uh, developer. And what, what specifically were, were your f use cases or your fields that you were coding on? Um, so, uh, so when I joined, I joined for like, so building more, like we were going to build like the, like the onboard software for new satellite, but then that, that mission got, uh, got canceled. So that's when I moved over to this, like the, to Prisma. And that was then in the more the QA phase, like, so all, basically all the development was done. So then I was doing a lot of quality assurance of new, mm. uh, like basically like manually quality assurance of like new versions. And then also like then doing some uh, patches, uh, during the launch and also like, uh, or like the control, the control phase. Even, also. even when it was launched and up, uh, actually control phase, does that mean when it's up in the air as well, working with it? So we had a, yes. So we had like a mission control center in, uh, in Solna as well. It's like, cool. we have this like, uh, cool. like around the clock, uh, yeah, operations. Yeah. Nice. And how would you differentiate like normal software engineering versus like this kind of embedded, uh, rocket, uh, software engineering, uh, like constraints that you have? Yeah. I remember, you know, the old like moon landing Apollo rocket, uh, discussions where they have, you know, super restricted memory. Yeah. constraints and CPU constraints. Um, how, how would you describe it at, at that time that when you were working with it? How, how much like computing power did you actually have and, and memory requirements? Yeah, it's, uh, I don't really remember it so long time ago. <laughs> um, but it was, of course, like it was very limited. It was like, you had to be like certified 
space hardened hardware. So like, mm. I mean, that was very limited. Mm. I mean, otherwise, like, I mean, I think the big difference was also like this, like there wasn't, um, like we were doing this like manually scheduling of processes. It wasn't like any, like no preemption, um, what it's called, like hard, um, like hard real-time systems without like preemption. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so no multi-threading or uh, that kind yeah. of functionality at all. So yeah. everything is single-threaded uh, in that way. Yeah. And it's, I guess it's C, C or C++ kind of programming, or was it, um, mm. what kind of language did you use? Well, it's quite, quite interesting because it was like, uh, it was C, but then it was a lot of uh, MATLAB Simulink. Ah, on top really? of it. Yeah. On top of it. Mm. And, and, and what were you using the MATLAB stuff for? Statistical stuff or? No, so there's something called um, Simulink, like MATLAB mm. Simulink. Ah, that is Simulink. like a more automatic control. Simulink. So a lot of it was like, it was very like this, like the, this, like I, I think the goal of Prisma was like to do almost everything in MATLAB Simulink. Mm. So like this, like the low level C was like as thin as possible, like more like more in the driver stuff and like, uh, but then everything else was done in MATLAB Simulink. So all this. Um, so the scientific uh, jobs collect things and whatever that was simulink stuff. but also this like uh, unfolding of the solar ah, arrays even this. like this like how do you like more like if you think of it like a mm. like a procedure like it's like yeah uh, you're waiting this long then you're gonna unfold then you're gonna turn this way then you're gonna unfold more so, yeah. so the, the the in quotation mark the workflow even of of, of the satellite up in the air yeah yeah exactly mm. so it was like it was heavy focus on that matlab simulink and then like you were generating so like what happened then I don't remember if this was for Prisma, maybe that was for like this, like the, the next one, the EOS, um, the telco satellite. But then a lot of the focus on this, like also like the quality assurance, was this like the quality assurance of the generate, so you generated C code from uh, MATLAB Simulink. Mm. Mm. Uh, and then, but then there was this like the ESA requirements on uh, like on the C level. Like, so it was like, there was like this, um, specific requirements on what you could do, like, mm. uh, like some, like maybe like hard linting rules, you could say, right. but then those had then to be observed on the generated C code, which was kind of like this, like, cause you didn't write it yourself. You didn't need to think about like, so that, uh, like the code you generated from Simulink was, would be adhering to, to these requirements on the C code. Mm. Yeah. Was this like, uh, I guess it wasn't uh, traditional like Intel processors or x86 kind of instruction sets or was it? No, it was some FPGA, <coughs> like emulating some other, uh, right. like other processor. Like, so it was like really? some, some strange, yeah, <laughs> kind of strange setup. So special compilers as well. And you had to therefore use some special version or processing of C language to be able to, to do that. Nah, uh, it wasn't any, I think it was the GCC. I don't think there was any. Oh, really? uh -huh. no. Okay. Interesting. Cool stuff. Uh, it's fun to do this kind of hard code engineering and hard yeah, core engineering. Yeah, you think so. I think and, so. And we, we are debating uh, our listeners or our viewers who is in the geeky side and who is like is t tuning out when it gets too geeky. Oh, yeah. And every time we, we, we've been super geeky, this was a good episode. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, oh, I think it was pretty good. I followed half, but yeah. <laughs> so, but it's interesting. Yeah. I, I, I think. I have a, I have a hypothesis. I think one way to learn more about data and AI, if you're non sort of data literate, is actually to try to follow even in conversations you can't follow, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And you pick up snippets and pieces, and it's a little bit like learning any language, right? I, I can't follow every single word, but I, I can follow the general idea. And then you add words and words and words. What do you think as a way to sort of get more data literate? 
Yeah, I mean, of course, like tag along is, I guess, a good way to, to learn as well. And I would say, I mean, I'm not then, I mean, this was my first job after university, this like this with the space corporation. So I mean, I'm not, I wasn't an expert in, I mean, I'm taking like maybe one course on embedded systems development. So it's like, uh, and I, it's not like, I mean, it was a long time I worked there as well, so I don't, I'm, I don't remember everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think it's like in hindsight, I think it was like super cool to get this experience to join that like straight out of university and like tag along with this, like uh, many other like amazing, amazing people that work there like, and, and learn from them. Your, your learning curve must have been quite steep considering the type of people that were surround, you were surrounded with. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Then you also started another like side business, right? During the time in the space corporation, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, what was that? So it's a, it's a, it's a web scraping service. It's called hyrusbepartning.se. And it's uh, still alive, right? It's still alive. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, still, it's still alive. Yeah. yeah. But it shouldn't, like, it's very, uh, I, I haven't done any front-end changes to it for I don't know how long. <laughs> like, it's my, my time is very, like, uh, it's, like, quite limited. So it's, like, it's, uh, there's plenty of room for, for improvements. What's uh, the use case? So it's, like, it's, like, it started when I moved to Stockholm myself. So it was, like, finding an apartment. Uh. So what it is, it's, like, it's scraping landlords, like, for, uh. Uh, for apartments. So it's, like, yeah, I mean, it set it up, like, more, like, myself moving to Stockholm, like, trying to find an apartment. And then there are these like so there are these landlords that have uh, they don't like use the housing queue, but more like they publish like some of them do it like first come first serve, some do like more a lottery of like the people applying in the first twenty four hours. Like there's a few, a few different setups, and some just like say like we're gonna we're gonna pick someone. So it's like very non transparent like how they do it. Um, so it's like but it's like yeah, anyways like there's and then, I mean there's multiple ones that have like their own uh, housing queues as well. So it's more like this like uh, like. Like my focus then was like on these ones that didn't have a housing queue, like more that had is like a first come first serve or like the, the lottery, like to know every time like an, an apartment came out from one of those and then like applying for it myself in order to try to get the apartment. And then like what I then did, like uh, the next step, but then like making that into service. Like, so that is like this, uh, he was talking. But, but I love this, like it, when the engineers have a problem, you, you basically solve it, code, code, code the problem. I, sometimes I get exactly. very jealous. I get very jealous when you get stuck with this. How the hell should I search in all these different sites? Well, I code it. I love it. <laughs> but I'm really jealous. I mean, it's a serious problem as well. I mean, even for you know, Sweden has a hard time to attract talents from abroad, especially. And one of the main reasons is that yeah, it could also be monetary and salary. But one of the biggest reasons, perhaps, is the difficulty in finding apartments in Stockholm and in other big cities in Sweden. And, and you need services like this to do that, right? Uh, yeah. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I think it's like, uh, I mean, uh, the unfortunate fact, of course, is like that this doesn't, I mean, if it's, if it's only like a very limited number of apartments being published on like this first come first serve or like... Uh, the lottery, I mean, it doesn't solve like the, the majority of the cases. No. But I think it's also like nice to say, like, it's like the aggregation, like the concept of aggregating all these different sites into one place. Mm. So one feed of it, like instead of having, because I mean, one thing is like, if you're like, who knows that you could be looking at uh, Wallenstam and like can get their apartments that are like, uh, that they don't have their own housing queue, but when they have new products, they like take like 50% of the apartments and like, uh, I can give them out to, to people like following their queue. But how, how has that market changed over the years? You had it for like 15 years now or 13 years or something? Uh, it's something like that. I mean, I started when I moved to Stockholm, so like that was 2008, uh, but I, I didn't, I mean, I didn't launch the, I launched maybe 2009, I think, like the, the service. But I'm, I'm thinking more, <clears throat> I have a lot of private landlords in, in Stockholm as well, yeah. and it's hard to find information about, you know, the, the apartments they actually put up for rent. 
And and this is where, you know, just collecting that to a central place as you did is, is really useful. But you would hope that at least, you know, during the years that improves and, and the information from these kind of landlords is collected somewhere. Would you say that has happened or how it has the market changed, so to speak? Well, I think there's like, like there's been more landlords have joined like the, the central housing queue. Okay. Uh, but then, I mean, in Stockholm, for example. Yeah. yeah. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I mean, I mean, that's better. I mean, of course, like having this, like from the customer point of view, like having everything in one place is the, mm-hmm. ideal. Yeah. And I think there's been also some. I mean, uh, um, so Malmo was really, really bad. Or, I mean, or good from my perspective, maybe from a business perspective, mm-hmm. because they didn't have a central like housing queue, right. but they created that like uh, like years ago now. So I mean, they have this like Boplats uh, suit mm-hmm. that is like uh, like similar to this like the, the Stockholm one. Slowly improving, at least, right? Yeah, or? yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, it's like as long as you have this, like the like the regulation, it's not. I mean, it's still going to be hard to find. So even if you like put them all in one place, it's still going to be hard to find an uh, find an apartment. So, I mean, in, from that side of point of view, I don't know if it's uh, if it's improving like for the purple, like the person looking for an apartment. Mm. So I guess if someone is still having trouble or interested in finding an apartment in Stockholm or some other big city in Sweden, they should go to hyresbevakning.se, right? They should. (laughs) (laughs) And you can basically sign up and subscribe to some information about that or how does it work? Yeah, that's right. So you sign up and then you get like, uh, like it's it's email based right now and you get like emails when it's, uh, whenever something's uh, available. Mm -hmm. I would say like mainly, so I mean, how it's evolved as well, I would say like it's fewer, it's like, so it's a bit sad, but it's like fewer landlords now that are. I don't know if it's sad, but I think this like yeah, having this like the side thing for people that are very active, like yeah. with uh, with the lottery. Yeah. I think this like first come first serve is not a good setup. But I mean, having the lottery, I think the twenty four hour lottery. Mm-hmm. I think that as a, like a separate housing queue. I think it's kind of like it's nice because like it gives some or at least like some chance for people yeah. outside to get it. But like fewer actually fewer, fewer landlords use that. Yeah. It's more that have moved back to to only doing the the housing queue. I think that the rental market in, in Stockholm is absurd. I mean, some people, you know, are in queue for like 10 years and I mean, it's not a functioning market, yeah. then, right? It's, it's absurd. I, I lived in Sydney and it's easier to find a house and an apartment in Manly. You can, oh, and actually it's all about what you're willing to pay and then you sort yeah. it out. And here, here you can't really sort it out. Yeah. I think what else, I don't know if it's still the case, but I mean, before I could lease when it's like n- newly built apartments, like they are quite expensive. So mm. then also, I mean, of course, then it's like, it's, it's going to be expensive, but like that has been a shot of getting a, like a first time contract, yeah. like historically at least. Yeah. Do you have any search functionality in Hiddesbevaking.se? Um, I used to have, but it didn't, uh, like it didn't perform very well. So I, <laughs> so I was doing like, yeah, so maybe back to this, like the linear track of my, so I was doing, yeah, I was, I was working at uh Swedish space corporation and I took like uh half year off when I was studying uh, like business administration. Mm-hmm. And uh, during that like half year, I was like, that's, uh, I did quite a lot of work on Hillsbuckning. And I was like, then I had like more research functionality, mm-hmm. but then no one used it. And I, I, no. I don't know, <laughs> well, I don't know if I was, I mean, in, in hindsight, or I mean, if you wanted to go for it, you should have like started like hiring some people with front end skills and mm-hmm. it would be, would be much nicer experience for, <laughs> for you, sir. And uh, no recommender systems yet uh, either in, <laughs> or no but i have like so i have like some ml things i wanted to do with it like for yeah. instance like or i think like there are two things like primarily i've thought of yeah like in the first one is like more to do better um like uh, location extraction mm-hmm. so that's for is like uh, the subletting sites like blocket but have an um also what is called like busa direct mm-hmm. that have like uh, this um um, like, cause sometimes there, like, people don't fill in like the address properly. Mm. So they're going to give like some more, like it's like 10 minutes walk, uh, 
to the like the right when you exit uh, the, the subway stop, yeah. stuff like that. And if you could then from that like have a better like uh, mm. like uh, location information, I think that would be useful because mm. you can like when you when you sign up, you like specify like what uh, right. where you're interested in. Oh, and then I uh, then the second one is more having uh, like more a prediction of like uh, since like it's so housing queue based, I think it's like it would be nice to have a, like a predicting like uh, queue time. So when you have a new apartment, then like you're gonna uh, predict like how long time would you need to have in a queue to be able to get this one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then you could have more like a long term. Say that you have say that you are in the housing queue and you have like ten years in in the housing queue, and then like you don't want to <laughs> get all the apartments, but you want to get. Uh, I only want to get apartments in Sado Malm that I'm interested that I could potentially be a hundred years. Yeah, <laughs> maybe, maybe prediction. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it's not. Uh, it's like it's interesting oh. question, but maybe it's not like very useful as a as a user feature. Oh, it's cool. Uh, it's cool. I, I think it's encouraging that you know these kind of services obviously has a great user value, but still there isn't like a big corporation fixing these kind of solutions, which I, I mean, like they, they, there's so many, much room for startups that yeah. if you really nail down the problem you're wanting to solve and you go out and understand the data and the algorithms behind it, it's still doable in, in many areas. I think that's the bottom line. And if you do it like you did, Anders, which basically is, I had a, press, a problem myself and I didn't find a solution, so I bo- built one. I mean, I think that's a really good starting point, wouldn't you say? Yeah, of course. For people that are interested in starting a startup themselves, yeah, yeah definitely. And I think just yes, from learning as well, because I think it's like, uh, like I don't know if you, how much you want to talk about this, but I mean, it's also. So I, I didn't know Python. So when I did it, I was also like, I wanted to learn Python. So I did it in Python. Right. I'm hosting it on like GCP, like App Engine, like super early, yeah. which was like, I mean, because I also wanted to try it out, and it's like it's like hoping for like no no ops experience. So you had a double agenda. You did something useful, but it was also a learning project for you in a sense. Yes. Or, yeah, which yeah. is yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. And then at some point you getting you got in contact with Spotify somehow. How did that happen? So it was, uh, I mean, it was me applying. I was, um, okay, cool. So it was like, I mean, I took this like uh, the half year off from, um, from space corporation. Mm. So as I mentioned, like when I joined like this, like the project that I was joining for got canceled. Mm. Then we were working on Prisma, like Prisma got launched. Like then it was like, so it wasn't like that much work around. Like, and then, then they like, um, they sold like the, the satellite division was sold like to a German company. Mm. Which I think, like, I mean, I think it was a good thing. So I mean, I, I, I'm not complaining, but it was like it was a lot of things changing. A lot of people left. Like, uh, like uh, there weren't like a lot of business. Like it was kind of like a negative uh, atmosphere. So I felt like it's uh, like I wanted to do something else. Um, Did you know anything about Spotify at that time, or how come you actually applied there? I mean, I, I know it as a user, like from using the service. Right. Okay. And I, I I thought, I mean, it's like it's it felt like a like a nice place, like a cool place to work on. Mm. Like it's, I mean, it's a, like yeah, this, like uh, a kind of unique uh, service. Um, I mean, I didn't know much about like how it was like internally at Spotify, but it, like, it felt like from the outside, like uh, like an interesting place. Mm-hmm. And at that time, what year was this approximately? This was in uh, 2011. Uh, 11. And how big was Spotify at that time? I think it was like about around 400 people when I joined. Right. Yeah. So before I started for sure. Yeah, yeah cool. <laughs> And, and what was your first expressions, you know, when you started working there? Can you speak a bit what you started working with and, and your first ex, uh, impressions when yeah, you did that? Definitely. Yeah, um, So I think, I don't know what the first, I mean, I, I was a bit like, uh, like, 
like or impressed, right? Almost starstruck. Like, yeah, and you get this like also like the imposter syndrome, like uh, like everyone's so good. Like, what am I doing here? Like, how did I like uh, how did I get hired? Like that sort of thing. Um, but I mean, at the same time, like, like a nice experience as well. Like, so you feel like you're working with like amazing people that you're gonna learn a ton from. So that's like a very, very cool. And what was your first like title or type of role that you had? So, so when I applied, I yeah. applied for, I think it was called like business intelligence developer. Wow. Like yeah. That's when I, what I applied for. Yeah. And I think when I joined, I think it was called analytics engineer. If I remember correctly. Right. Uh, you already upgraded in, in the process from applying to joining. I like that. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like a, analytics better than BI yeah. As, yeah. as a title. But what, what I did like when we joined, I mean, it was like more this like central team, like mm -hmm. working with like, um, like, like analytics, like so it was like, but it was like very broad. It was like owning, like building the, um, like maintaining a loop cluster. Right. Like, um, yeah, like doing, doing data pipelining like building like uh, AB testing tooling. So it's quite uh, broad, quite broad from the pipelines all the way to the report layers sort of thing or. Yeah. Yeah. It was like all, like all of that, like was one team, including like product insights, like, and, uh, yeah. like, and everything really. And were you guys doing the reporting for all these sort of, uh, you know, get, getting the right, uh, you know, uh, the stream should go, how much should go to the artist that is quite, uh, you know complex reporting to follow up. Yeah. So that's like one of the first things I did when I, when I joined, yeah. like I was working on that. And then, uh, I also, um, I think like one of so one of the very first things was also like, we were doing this, there was a reporting, then we're doing this like evaluation of scheduling systems. And we're like, uh, like, like we built like how this like Luigi thing for like more like task orchestration. And we were like evaluating, I think like Uzi is this like the, the Hadoop, uh, like we were doing some evaluation of that. So that's also something I worked on. And then like we did this migration from um, Elastic MapReduce back to on-prem. So those are the three things I remember like yes when I, that happened yes when I joined. And we actually spoke a bit to Henrik Lööf, who was here last week as well, that worked in Spotify as well early on. Was, was he starting before you or after you? Do you remember? I don't know. Because uh, uh, we didn't work together like in the beginning. So I mean, right. I don't know. Uh, but I mean, I started, I mean, at that, at that time. I don't know exactly when he... Wasn't it the case that we actually in Spotify first had uh, Amazon uh, as a cloud provider and then moved on-prem? Or did we have both at the same time? Or do you remember how it started? Well, so I think, I mean, I wasn't there when this happened. So, I yeah. mean, I'm hoping I get it correct. <laughs> yeah. Otherwise, you need to get like then another Spotify <laughs> yeah, <laughs> to, sure. to correct me. <laughs> but as I so as it's been told, like, yeah, and I don't, I don't know, but I mean, the first one was just like running on the, like people's laptops, like mm. or like, computers. Like, so it's like, what's this like, yeah. Uh, you're running like um, like MapReduce on everyone's computer, right. and then after that, they moved to this like uh, like the yeah like a like an internal computer like, or like a, like a stack of mm -hmm. like a, like an on-prem uh, Hadoop setting, and then after that, they moved to Elastic MapReduce uh, Amazon, okay. Okay. and then when I joined, like we were just like deciding to moving back. So right. yeah, so at some point here, I think someone has mentioned the famous uh, server in the closet. Is that, which <laughs> one is that? Do you remember that? So that is the, like the, like it's, it's not the closet, it's the football room, I think. Okay. Uh, so it's like, it's the, but that's the, this is the second one. Like after a lot, like first the computer, then there's like the one in the, in the football room. And then I think then, well, I think I, I probably they went then to some like more, um, like proper like data center, I guess. But it is all before my time, so I wasn't there for that. But when I joined, when I joined, it was like uh, Elastic MapReduce on uh, on Amazon Cloud, and then and then yes, and when then I joined, yeah. So then in 2011, or I guess like 2012, like uh, beginning 2012, 
we moved uh, back from Elastic MapReduce to, to on-prem. And what kind of cluster did they use then? It, it was it was a classical like Hadoop clusters at that time, right? Yeah, that's right. And uh, and it was even before Yarn, if I remember correctly, it was this kind of classical MapReduce job we wrote in Python partly, I guess, in Luigi, but also directly in Java, right? Or what kind of tooling did you start working with to to actually start using the on-prem Hadoop cluster? Yeah, remember? I mean, it was primarily this like the, the Python MapReduce, oh, okay. but it's like this like the streaming, uh, like the streaming MapReduce. Mm. So you could like do it in any any language really, but it's uh, like we uh, like it was implemented like this like the Luigi like for mm. for doing the like the, the Python MapReduce. Mm. I, I heard about Luigi a lot, and and especially from Spotify, it seems like a very uh, important piece of uh, piece of the puzzle. What is Luigi? So it's uh like, like so it's kind of like two things which gets uh so it's one thing is it's like the Python map reduce. It's like you can do like there's this like the streaming map reduce where you write like the map reduce jobs. Uh, so that's one thing like you can then express like the the map reduce like you write it like in in Python. Mm -hmm. So you write the mapper and you write a reducer function. And then you have a job. So that's like one thing and then another one is more like a job orchestration. orchestration. So you have so then you have like this like you have multiple jobs. Like multiple like uh, jobs, and each job has an, like a mapper phase and a reducer phase, and then you can like bundle them together, like to have like this the dependency, and then like like so that's, those are kind of like two different things. But I guess like the reason why they're together is if you have this uh, like the Python map reduce, you have like the mapper and the reducer. But then if you want to do something more complex, then you're gonna need to have like multiple steps of uh, like a mapping phase, reducing phase, and another mapping phase, and another reducing phase. And at that time, like the way you express that would then be. Like you have those as like different jobs with an intermediary storage on HDFS, and then like you need to then like describe the dependency between those two jobs. Yeah. So, so Luigi at this point in time becomes critical to orchestrate pipelines of a little bit more complexity. That's right. But I think like then like what's uh, like what's a bit like confusing is then like I mean so right now like I mean you don't do Python MapReduce, but you still want to have this like dependency of different jobs. So you can still use like Luigi for that. Mm. So I think uh, I'm, I'm, I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing that no one like is using Luigi for Python MapReduce no, I mean, like to, today but it I still has this, uh, yeah. I mean, like to, to most people, I guess they would see Luigi as the orchestrator type technology. Exactly. But it's interesting because when you started, it was actually two two key parts to it. Yeah, and I think and you didn't really see it as two things, no, two okay. different parts. It's like, but it's, I mean, exactly. it's, it was two different parts. But I, I mean, I didn't think about it. Like, no, I thought it, it was, was like this the is the way. Yeah, this it's is the way we do it for doing MapReduce. Yeah. Cool. Well, you started working as a data engineer. We guess we can call it. Yeah. Um, and you've been there for a long time. How, how would you say the data engineering role has evolved over the years? Um. Yeah, uh, good question. Um, because it started to be like like a business intelligence engineer, analytics engineer, as you mentioned. Uh, would would you say the, the what you meant at that in the beginning uh, with data engineer has changed over the times? So it means something else today, or so I think it's like uh, like when you, as I mentioned, like when you joined, it was kind of like it was one team. So then it was kind of like what you did was kind of like not super. I mean, it's like not super defined. Mm. Because more you were an engineer, but like what did that include? Like it right. could be a lot of things. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think then like what has happened now is more like uh, like either like in data engineering, you could either mean like someone like or, me or meaning like the person building like the infrastructure for others right. to be productive with data. Mm. 
So, I mean, that's like, I think that's, uh, I mean, that's more like the data infrastructure side, but I think it's called like, probably still called like data in Europe, maybe also job description. But then it could also be more like, uh, like more in the feature team, like you're using data and you're building like uh, data sets and think about like the scheme evolution, like over data and that sort of thing. So it's kind of like, uh, and I think some people don't understand what you mean with central teams versus feature teams, et cetera. What do you mean with that? So I mean, with, with the feature team, I mean, uh, for instance, search, like, so you have like a user facing, like, I mean, it mm. maybe doesn't need to be user facing, but like, uh, like more, uh, like a feature in the, in the app. So I think like the user facing ones are easy, of course, since so like easy to describe. Mm. So like search is a, uh, is a feature. Mm. And then like the infra team is more like then if you want to build, if you're going to have multiple teams that's going to do data engineering at Spotify, mm. like it's nice to have then a team that's going to build tooling for those people to be productive in their data engineering tasks. Mm. And that's more like then, uh, what I meant with this, like the infrastructure team. So we have this kind of central versus going more embedded into feature teams or product teams. And it's been an, I think, popular theme or question that we had um, over a number of discussions in the past. And, and I guess you can, I, I guess my question should be, how centralized should the data engineering work be? Should it be a central team, like an infrastructure team? Should it be that every feature team have their own data engineers? What do you think the right, right setup should be? I think it's, I mean, of course, it's going to depend on how big your company is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, uh, so, I mean, it's, uh, of course, I, I don't think there's a, uh, like one size fits all. Right. So when I, when I joined, like it was like, everything was one central team mm. and then it was split in two. So it was like one that was more like the, was one that was analytics and it was one that was data infrastructure. So it was like two teams. Yeah. And then you had, um, so then it was also like mapping and analytics more like to the different feature teams where it's like the, like you had different parts, like you serve different parts of the, of the company from the. Mm. from analytics mm. but i would say i would say now i mean in like in in the setting now like search is more like a feature team and i mean it makes sense for search to have its own data engineers right like i mean that shouldn't be that shouldn't be centralized not that uh like i mean i don't think that makes any sense i mean it, it's good because that's what i've been trying to claim that that's the proper way to do it and i'm glad to say that you or here that you agree but at least when you start out you need to have at least some kind of centralized team that can build up some kind of critical mass of competence around the area but as you scale, you start to spill over and you have an, like a hybrid approach where you have a centralized team that provides like the template kind of core com- competence and, and support, but you also have competence inside like product teams and feature teams, right? But, but I, I really think it has all to be do about scale and, and actually the, the um, variety of type of use cases you're working on. So if, if I take the example of Scania where I'm right now, I mean, like they started, of course, when they built their on-prem data lake uh, in in one central team, and it was the sort of central IT in order to get control and get some sort of center of excellence understanding, right? But of course, you can realize it's completely impossible to understand from a content perspective the different domains in Scania, right? From from autonomous vehicles to connectivity to you know whatever you need in the in the manufacturing side to retail and all that so so here we have that that becomes a real problem and, and a bottleneck because it doesn't fly right so so scania now going into sort of generation two and three of of, of their big big data stuff it it truly becomes more what we are describing here of, of a, a central infra team 
serving domain teams. We would call it domain teams in Skonia. Yeah. So, uh, and within the domain team, you could argue feature or service or whatever. So I, I, I work a lot of with the bank side. Well, we need our engineering team to build our whatever data pipelines we need. But we are, we, are, we are doing it very, very tightly with the central teams. We're trying to build scaffoldings and templates and reuse it. And we basically, we want to, we don't want to lit up the sort of pipeline. We want to fill it with content sort of thing. I, I think that's, I don't know, it becomes to me, I, Vattenfall and then Scania, where, where the value chains are very, very different, right? It's different companies in the same company almost. It's, I, I don't see a central team that can do it the whole way, but of course you need to start somewhere. No. And of course, if I flip it, if you have all the domain teams, but no central team to set some sort of standards and data catalog and CICD, I think that would be a mess too. So I really think the hybrid is the way to go. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's, a, it's an interesting discussion. I think, I mean, I think also this with the size, because I mean, if yes. you have, I mean, if you have, if you say you go directly for having like this, like the, like the data engineers and the future teams, and it's only one data engineer, ah. I mean, then you're going to feel lonely. So I mean, Not I mean it's more, mass. Yeah. exactly. So I think that's, uh, yeah. I don't get the critical, critical mass no, and can't exactly. really yeah. evolve and, and do any more right, of the yeah. internal tooling, I guess. Yes. But, but I mean, definitely right, right now, I mean, at the scale of Spotify is today, I mean, it, like then having the domain, like, yeah. I mean, in the, like in the, in the feature teams or domain teams, then yeah. like having more like the, like the, like the data engineers here and like the ML engineers, like that's, that makes total sense. But, but I think this is a very important follow-on question now, because as you're scaling now with more teams, and you're trying to keep a, a, a computational standard or design pattern standards and reuse what the infra team has built. So how do you solve that in Spotify in terms of getting the knowledge sharing between the sort of feature teams and the central teams? So the, so the feature teams can really go fast on their features, but not rebuilding stuff that actually is already existing somewhere else in Spotify. How do you solve that? What is, what is the community, guild chapters, all, all the stuff, you know, yeah. well, what's the going rate today? Yeah. No, but definitely, I mean, you have this like the knowledge sharing uh, settings, of course. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, if you, if you take this like the autonomous team concept as well, yeah. like then you could think of the team like being autonomous. Like, I mean, so they're going to go for like what makes sense for them. And then it's like, then it's going to be more, like, I mean, it's kind of like uh, they're going to be a customer of the platform or more the central teams. It's like, they're again, more going to be coming with, uh, like like requests or like feature requests, I guess, to the to the platform team. Yeah. So that's also like I mean more. I mean it's like. Um, so it's a little bit like the, the, the even the feed, the infra team needs to be customer oriented yeah. to build the type of features or toolings that is really helpful and useful. Otherwise, yeah. they don't have a case. Something like this. So it's, yeah. it's, it's not really a push. It's more like a pull. Would you say that? Yeah, I mean, or I mean, it goes both ways because I mean, it's also probably going to be uh, like a push on like this is like uh, we need to migrate to this version. So like, you know, all need, like all the teams need yeah, to yeah. do this like migration now, and it's like that's like more a push than coming from the, from the central team. But but yeah. but, but to be real, a little bit nerdy, um, I think this is difficult stuff. How to do knowledge sharing concretely in everyday life? So what what is the mechanisms that you are using, or do you have sort of communities, or how, how have you organized that? Yeah, it's, uh, I, I don't know if you have any, like, but there's a lot of like internal conferences. There's like uh, knowledge sharing sessions, like, uh, like, uh, yeah, like, um, like the, the normal, like there's a lot of like, there's an active like uh, blog where people like an engineering blog that people like write up things they work on and sharing that with others in the company. Yeah, but I don't, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel like I'm asking you a question. No, no, no. Because, because, we don't have like because, a secret. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really answer. curious because I'm contrasting sort of this sort of more, uh, how should I put it? Uh, 
this is our policy. We have this governance body. We meet quite formally. I mean, I think this is a difference between a, an enterprise way of solving this, that oh, we have our commercial data board. We have a data product owner for, you know, and we meet every month and we have this agenda, right? This is one way of yep. doing it. The other one is more, I would say, pool, community. We go here because we like it, because we learn, and, you know, which is maybe, I don't know, I, I don't see, one is more uh, structured and one is more voluntary, but I don't know which one works best, to be honest. No. But then, So I was sort of exploring this yeah. feel, this interests me a lot. But it depends on also, I mean, what do you want to control from the central team? Because I mean, of course you could have some control like on what type of uh, frameworks people use. Like, mm. so it's like also, I mean, cause to encourage like, uh, like sharing and like people, like if they want to move teams, like it's going to be annoying if everyone team is doing like exactly. a completely different programming language and so, mm. so I mean, then you can have more have a central centralized like setting on like how you're going to do it. Mm. But I think then, uh, I mean, probably not going to control centrally then. I mean, I think, I mean, mainly it's going to be like this, the feature teams are going to be the domain expert in what they're doing. Yeah. So like, I mean, it's, it's not like someone centrally is going to come and say like, you should use this, no. uh, like this is the like the way you should solve this problem. It's like I mean that's going to be happening from the from the from the feature teams. Mm. Ah, I, I, I find this a very important area how to solve, and and it's ah it's not so easy. Yeah, I, mean, I think that's one of the the good strengths that Spotify has. It really tries to provide autonomy and ownership in the feature teams themselves, and uh, also although it can cause some mess, <laughs> still having the freedom to actually do that, even though you have not perhaps support from the central team, I think is still is a very important thing to have. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I yeah. think it's, uh, this like autonomy is, is great. And yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it makes it more fun, like to, yeah. like, I mean, you more feel like this, like you, you own your, you own your part of the, like of, yeah. of what it is, like in more, you're more in control of that. Yeah, true. Yeah. Cool. And, and we spoke a bit about, you know, moving back and forth from the cloud and, and we went from yep. Amazon to on-prem and then you had a big transition into Google Cloud. Were you part of that in somehow or in starting that work? Not really in starting the work, but I was part of, uh, like, I would say, I mean, this is like one of these, like the central thing. I mean, if you have, I mean, you have the push and pull. Yes. And I mean, if someone decides now, the company decides we're going to go to GCP. And then we're going to finish this by this deadline. Of course, then you're going to have a, like, I mean, then it's like a, like, like a central team saying that that's going to happen. And you need to finish by this. I can uh, look like who's done yet, like who, who isn't done. And I can make sure like people keep the, keep the schedule and keep the pace. Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, so what I was like, going back to the question, I mean, I was, um, I was more, I was working then with more uh, like some key, like key data, like a more like, core data sets for, for a company. Mm -hmm. So we were more like uh, like affected and like in the sense of um, like needing to needing to like perform the GCP migration for our data, mm. and then I mean also like before that I guess like we were a bit involved like more in uh, like everyone was super keen to use BigQuery. Mm -hmm. I think yes. maybe more data. That. Yeah. That, that was that the killer app that everybody okay I can live with GCP as long as I get BigQuery. Yeah, and I I think I mean we did. Like, I mean, so I think we, I mean, we started using uh, BigQuery before, like, uh, like before like, finishing like, the full migration. 
So I mean, it, that was like, uh, yeah, certainly like, uh, like a big improvement over like our, so our what, previous what, setting. What was the, the main reason that they actually <laughs> did go for the full GCP migration into Google Cloud? Was, was it BigQuery or was it more things? Or what was the main reasons you would say for moving from on-premise to Google Cloud? Yeah. So there is like, uh, I don't know if you listen to it, but there is this like very nice like uh, podcast like uh, called uh, Spotify Product Story. Yeah. So they, Gustav Söderström. Exactly. Well. Yes. yes. So they, they have like an episode like talking about the GCP migration. Mm. And I think, uh, so, so I mean, what to, what to bring up there, like it's also like this, I mean, uh, like the aspects of like, what do you think is your core, um, like the core thing you're doing, like, or what are you going to be good at? And are you going to be good at like operating like a huge data centers? It's like, or is that like where you want to invest your engineering resources as well? Hmm. And if it's not like, I mean, uh, like, so I think, I mean, I think that's this, like a big reason for, for doing the, like the, the cloud migration. So it's a strategic yeah. choice where to put engineering investment. Yes. How deep infra versus yeah. feature or, or what we are good at. Exactly. And then I think also like then besides that also like and then a bet then maybe that's more on this like the GCP reason like it's more like a bet on the like the value added services and that's where BigQuery comes in as an example. Mm. Like this like or something that we would get from from this that we that we're not having uh, having right now. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm a bit eager since I was. <laughs> know a bit about how this works as well. I mean, it's hard to do a big shift like from on-premise to Google Cloud yeah. because you want to use, I guess, as much of the services that do exist on Google Cloud as possible and avoid having to maintain and develop um, all of that yourself. But still, you can't switch everything directly, right? Yeah. And, and then we have a, a term that we use quite often here, which is called lift and shift. Uh, basically saying that we just take the processes that we have and just you know, shift it into cloud, but still it operates in the same way. And if I don't, if I recall correctly, some of the Hadoop workings, for example, in the beginning was simply, you know, lifting it into the cloud and having virtual machines instead of using the proper Google services. Would you agree? That's true. But I think this, uh, this is, I guess, a good example coming back to what we talked about this, like the central team versus the feature teams. Because mm. I mean, the central team says like, now we're going to move to GCP. This is deadline, like everyone needs to be done. Like, uh, otherwise, like, uh, like there's no like alternative, like you need to be done. Mm. But then it's more up to the feature teams, like then how do they want to do the migration? Mm. So I think like there's like, there's two different, like, um, I mean, I didn't, um, I mean, of course it's like huge migration of this, like all the services, yeah. like how are we going to move this, like the on-prem services, like over to the Google cloud. Yeah. I think that's like a more challenging migration, but I wasn't part of that. I was doing more the data migration. Mm. And I think like, but that, like, so if you look only at the data migration, like, I mean, I think you can either do this, like you can, you have our existing jobs, like, and you can then like, you can. Uh, and, and jobs for people who don't know. I mean, we have like 10K, 10,000 pipelines running every day or something, or? I don't know. Uh, I don't know the exact yeah, figure. That's a lot of yeah, them. But it's a lot of jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's more like, uh, like producing, like, uh, like doing some data processing, like, and then producing, uh, like, uh, like an output. Mm. So, so, I mean, you could, but then like on the migrations, you could, I mean, you can either like say, like, I mean, I have my, like what framework am I using now on Hadoop? And then I'm, I'm just going to keep the same thing. And then there's like this uh, tooling called Dataproc that's like basically running Hadoop on, on Google Cloud. Yeah. So you could then like set up Dataproc and then I like, keep running the exact same thing you had before, but now running it on Google Cloud. Mm. On that would be the closest exactly. to lift and shift. I mean, like not really, yes. not really yeah. maximizing the, the infra that you're yeah. basically if we, we did it stupid before, yeah. we're going to do it stupid now. But so the main yeah. point is to get from A to B, yeah. not really adding value. Yeah. 
So let me go, let me go back yes, uh, like one step. So I mean, of course, like to do that, you also need the data on Google Cloud. Mm -hmm. So I mean, of course, like the first thing is like here, you have the data on on on-prem Hadoop, HDFS. Then you also want to have it on uh, on Google Cloud, so you can then like then move. And I think that so I mean, what was done then was more like a replication setting where like you you moved all the data. Like if you start with like the upstream uh, the upstream logs, like in, uh, like moving them over, so you had them both like mirrored, so you had them both mm -hmm. on um, on um, on HDFS, and you have them on uh, on GCP. And then so like upstream when, logs, basically data coming in from the front-end services or the, the apps that people are using when playing. Yeah, exactly. And also back-end services and, and all these kind of logs, you yeah. want to have both on-prem and in the cloud. Exactly. So you, you, you fork them to do the yeah. same, to be the same in two places for a while. That's right. So you think, I mean, you, you have all this, like the, these jobs again, or the pipelines or what you want to call them. Like, I mean, they're, they're taking some data and they're producing some data. Yeah. So like at the very top of that is this like the, the raw data that's not actually produced by pipeline is produced by emit, like events emitted from the client or it's like yeah. maybe a database dump or something. Yeah. So I mean, if you start with those ones and you move them over, so you have them replicated, so you have them both on HFS and you have them on GCP. I mean, then you have unlocked the first layer of migration. So then everyone in that first layer can then do like their parallel migration. Then of course you could then also like you could also replicate the output of their things like over to right. GCP because then you have also unlocked like this the second layer. So you could like if you replicate everything, you have basically unlocked everyone to do their like their own uh, like their their own migration. So like so then like then you can do it more like uh, team by team can do the migration. So this was a quite conscious strategy how to get if I get that layer over first, then we can work on the next layer and then we can work on the next layer at, and at some point. Now we can be more flexible just in time when the different feature teams can move something yes, like this. Exactly. And then like, then coming back to this, like the lift and shift, like more this, like the data proc. So it's like, again, like you have this like central initiative to move to Google cloud, but then like, the, then it's more like up to the teams then to decide like, how do you want to do it? Like, do they want to do use like keep running their like yeah. processing framework and do data proc? Or do they want to like re-implement their uh, like all of their uh, like um, data pipeline and processing and like in a new framework, then on the on data flow? And would you say this was sort of opportunistic from the different teams to basically, well, this is a good timing for us. We we actually want to use the new data flow, and for us, some uh, we are we are too busy with other things. We just want to survive, so we oh. will do it the old way. So a little bit opportunistic here. Which way went when to if to fix it immediately or to yeah. do the lift and shift? Definitely, I think so. And I think it's also like very much dependent on like what infrastructure or what, what data processing framework were you using on Google yeah. on, on, on Hadoop. Yeah. So, so it's like, it's like, uh, so, so in our case, I think that was super nice because we were using Scalding on, uh, on on-prem. Ah. And then we have like, then we have uh, like, so on top of, of Dataflow or actually on top of Google Apache Beam, we have this like uh, framework called Shio. That's like a more data processing framework in, in Scala. And, and then, also uh, developed in house, you should say, right? That's right. Developed in house. It's a, it's great. It's used by a lot of companies. It's uh, it's amazing. <laughs> and a shout out to the person who created it as well. Perhaps if you remember the name, uh, Neville. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. So basically, person, for you, you you basically could get something that you really wanted, or what, what, did you? Was that you saw something? Ah, this is perfect for us. I think. Well, that was one thing, but it, it was more like it was extremely similar to to scalding, like on the okay. like on the on the. Um, like, like the framework. So the, it so, was so efficient, like, not so much rebuild or something like this. Yes, exactly. So, I mean, we did a rebuild, but that was like more, you like it was kind of like you could like copy paste your code and like change some things like it was, and it was done. Versus then if you were on crunch, like this, like the Jama framework used by a lot of teams, like then if you then wanted to do like move to 
like I mean, it wasn't like like I mean, you could either then like do this like the data proc and run like your crunch jobs on uh, on GCP. But if you wanted to do this, like the shire migration, like it would be a much more cumbersome, like rewrite of all your jobs. Mm. I mean, we also had to rewrite, but it was more like the rewrite was easy because like it was very similar, like both of it was in, uh, in Scala as well. Oh. I think some people that are a bit confused now by all the terms we have been using. We have been using terms like scolding, crunch, data flow. Scala. We haven't, yeah, Scala is a well, problem language, language, but language. we haven't mentioned Spark actually. But, oh, okay. And I guess okay. we, I was a big proponent, but then it never really caught on in, in, uh, so what is scolding? Right? What is scolding? Let's start with that one. Yeah. Scolding? Yeah. If we just start to, to speak a bit about, you know, the differences between perhaps, you know, crunch is not really well known, I, I don't think, for a lot of people. And, and nor is scolding, I would argue. Or I think, yeah, I mean, I don't think like, scolding was like in, used by a lot of, or at least like Twitter was like heavily yeah. using, but I don't think crunch was, uh, yeah. I don't know if that was like uh, much used outside of. But it was a Java-based tool, right? It was, yes. Mm. So it's like, I mean, I mean, I think, like, I don't know how interesting it is like, to talk about all this, but I think like the interesting conceptual level is more like we used to be on Python MapReduce. Mm. And that's like, as we mentioned, like it's very low level. Like it's like you write the mapper, you write the reducer. Mm. And then you have to like then like, like put many of these mm. things together. So, I mean, it's, it's not uh, very nice. Like you want a more- like, You're very low now. Yes. So you want to have like a, bit, like a better expressivity. And then if you want to do it on a SQL level, that was Hive. And then if you want to do it like more in a, like in a, like in a programming language, I can have more like better expressivity. So it's like more you do a group by, you don't do that. Like you don't uh, like yourself write the group by in MapReduce. You don't write yourself write the join in MapReduce. Like it's more you do a join in the, like in the framework. And that's like, that's what you get from this, like from crunch and what you get from scalding and from, from Shio. And then we have the, the data flow part as well. Uh, if we want, were to describe that shortly, how would you describe data flow? Oh, yes, called like data processing as a service. Yeah. I mean, because you know, I think some people think that data flow, oh, it's a data flow, but it's actually a named service developed by Google available on Google cloud that is basically a managed um, data a big data processing tool, right? That's right. So it, it's a complement. It's an alternative to Scolding, Crunch, Spark, etc. But they manage all the machines, etc., and they manage the jobs as well. That's right. And they, yeah. And so. a big difference is like, I mean, it, when you were on prem and you run the Scalding, like mm. maybe you only run Scalding, but someone needs to maintain the Hadoop cluster. Right. So that's like when you, if you then do the migration to GCP and you do this, like the, you run data proc, then you're both like, then one thing is like you're running data proxy, so basically like operating your own Hadoop cluster for your team. Plus you have your, still you have your code done in, in, uh, in Scalding. But then if you do the migration to, uh, like to, to Shio, like then it's like, uh, you can think of like data flow system more providing like, like that's like removing this, like the, the Hadoop layer. So it's like mm -hmm. more, it's just add the data processing as a service. So you don't need to think of like, you don't have a, you don't have a data, you don't have a Hadoop cluster anymore. And Shio as basically is, um, I would call it a wrapper around Dataflow as well, or how would you describe it? It's like on top of Apache Beam. Yeah, but yeah. Beam is on top of uh, Dataflow then as well, right? I mean, you can run. I, you I'm can not run sure. Spark I mean, and Flink yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I, you're opening a bit Pandora's box here. I think you know <laughs> the Apache Beam standardization that Google did was a really smart thing uh, from a Google point of view. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you're, you're right. I mean, we're using it for. I mean, primarily it's like a, I mean, at Spotify, it's just like Shio, and then you run it on, on Dataflow. I mean, yeah. that's. Yeah. No, anyway, I mean, Google does a lot of very strategic and smart moves sometimes. And I think this is one of the smarter ones they've done. 
where they they, they created uh, Apache Beams, which basically is 100% compatible with Dataflow, and perhaps 70% compatible with Spark and uh, Flink 60%. I don't know. It's probably better today, um, but it, it it was a really smart thing where they say they want to really standardize things. And then you can choose what you want to use, but in reality, you couldn't really because you can't use all the functionality that Spark and Flink has that is not supported by Beam. Ah, anyway, so, so it's just my opinion. So they were smart <laughs> in the sense that they made something that seemed very flexible and open and could do everything, but actually, from their point, it steers the developers into, into d- data the, flow, the yes. data flow tools that is theirs, uh, their service. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, I mean, I don't know how easy it is to use Shio outside of Dataflow. Right? I mean, that's the setting we, we use primarily. But I mean, for that, it's like it's it's really good. Yeah. I mean, uh, then I mean, I I mean, I I haven't. I mean, I'm very. My knowledge is very limited to GCP as well, because that's what I use for my own service and like for everything at Spotify. So I don't know like uh, how well it compares with other offerings. But it's like. But but if we were su- to summarize now, like when we have now moved into GCP and we are now lived there for quite a while. You know, if, if if what is what is the fundamental difference in your opinion on the on how we look at architecture today? I mean, like first of all, we were on 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 prem, and then it, it, we had to look at it in some ways because we had to do everything right. And then you go into GCP, and now we have even evolved quite further, and we we get we get to more and more abstraction layers. You know, we have the lambda in uh, in AWS. What's the, what's the equivalent in? Google functions, Google functions, and all that. So, how, how, how is this, and you know, how is the stack evolved, so to speak, in terms of how we use it or think about it? Any, yeah. any ideas or any thoughts that comes to mind when I ask that question? I mean, uh, I mean, I kind of already said it, but I think like this more like development into like not like more as a service, like or you don't want to like keep moving up. So, like, I mean, you don't want to. I mean, you, you don't want to run Hadoop, or I mean, it's more, it's like you have your data on GCS and then yes, you want to like do a data, like data processing job on top of it. Like that's like enabled by, by data flow. Yeah. But so, but this is, I think yeah. is quite clear, right? So, yeah. so the first topic is okay. We don't want to do the really low infra stuff. We want to do that as a service. Yeah. What else? I mean, like we are um, hinting, you know, are we looking differently using containers or, you know, yeah, yeah. when did the dockers and Kubernetes come into this mix? How did that change for the data pipeline guys? Or is that on the side? Was that all that it wasn't there in, if I go back? No, that's right. But it's, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, it's, um, I think this, like, I mean, that's more on the, on the service side. Cause I think, yeah. I mean, you don't really need, I mean, um, uh, I mean, we do containerize our jobs, like running, or like more like the packaging, or like how you can run the like the data flow job. I mean, you don't really need it. I mean, it, I think it's more for this, uh, like more on the backend service side. And like, I mean, having of course, like you want to have like the, the right sizing and like auto scaling and uh, mm. like uh, like um, yeah. So the impact of these containers and all that has been on a slightly different part of the. Archi- the whole architectural stack, so to speak, is that I, you know, I'm, I'm trying. I mean, to I mean, I, I don't. What I mean is, I, I don't. I think it's like it's super important, and it's like it's, but it's more on a, like in a different uh, track. It's not like I mean, it's not like you do this move to like to data flow, and then the next step no, no, after no, no, that no. is the containerization. So, it's not like so it's, it's something like on else a, on it, the side. It, it solves another problem. Yeah, but of course, it's also like in in a similar setting. Like it's like if you don't need to like if you run uh, Kubernetes, like maybe you don't. Like don't need to think so much about yourself about like provisioning hardware and like how big how much capacity do I need? Like you can do that like on uh, on GKE and get like uh, auto scaling for you and mm. yeah. 
Yeah, um, oof, we could uh, continue this for a long time, uh, I think. But let's perhaps move to the uh, next topic as well. And, uh, I, uh, we actually, there's, what, what do you do now? Are you think, what are you working on right now in, uh, is, is, uh, you know, can we, can we ask that? Yeah, of question? course, of course. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, so I'm working on search right now. Yeah. So, so I mean, I've, uh, I joined Spotify as a, um, like as a data engineer. Basically it wasn't like that wasn't titled, but I would say like, that's what it would be called now. Uh, and then I worked, uh, I was a, like a PM for a short time. I was like, and then I've been an EM for, for a few years. EM, you have to elaborate. Uh, engineering manager. Yes. And there are so many different terms here. We had like terms like chef leads in, in the previously. We have product owners, we have tech leads, we have engineering managers. How would you describe what an engineering manager is? So, I mean, primarily it's a people manager. Like you manage, mm -hmm. uh, like if you like engineers, like, uh, so it's kind of like self, uh, self describing. But well, it's, well uh, not actually, yeah. I mean, yeah. it, it sounds no, like it's engineering. Um, yeah. it, it sounds like a tech lead also in some yeah. way, uh, but it's, it's not, it, it is like uh, you manage engineers. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it's, it's a people, it's a people manager, but it's also like mm -hmm. then more. So, I mean, also this, like the difference between a chapter lead, it's like more than focus on like one team. Mm. It's more focused on the delivery of that team, and I guess also like in some sense like the like the like the tech tech ownership like of that mm. team or like the. But yeah. I think a lot of people are interested in understanding you know how we organize people and what type type of roles we have in Spotify. And I said we know, but yeah, I, you did. I, I was I was noticing that. Are you coming back on But what I meant is. Um, the chapter leads, for example, they, they didn't manage a specific team that they had more a specific like theme or a speciality that they yeah. focused on and then had managed people across a number of teams. And, and that had a special purpose in some way, right? So, so you could differentiate yeah. the, the, the product owner from the team lead, so to speak, or the people managing person. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And I think mm. also like coming back to this, like what we talked about in the beginning of this, like how you size up the teams and so, because mm. I think like, say if you have this, like if you have like one data in your, like in every team and then like, but then if you don't have like a chapter lead, like for, for that group of data engineers, like that's mm. kind of creating a chapter and then a sense of community for those data engineers, although mm -hmm. they are in different teams. Yeah. And then like, then like ideally then like the chapter lead then also like has some domain knowledge, like so they're like, uh, yeah, have a, I can have a good mm. chapter discussion. But I guess it's also pros and cons with having like multi-team chapter leads version versus having a specific um, feature team engineering manager. Yeah. Right. Or what would you say the the problems potentially with having a multi-team chapter lead versus a specific yeah. team engineering manager is? So I mean, uh, I mean, I think the big problem, like, or personally, like, I mean, for like in the chapter lead setting, it's like you're gonna have like people in a bunch of teams, and it's gonna be hard to keep track of what's happening in all those different right. teams. Yes. So you're gonna you're gonna have like a less informed like discussions with your with your directs, and it's mm. uh you're not yeah it's like <laughs> you're gonna feel like feel like you feel bad like or it's like it's gonna be very hard like for like to keep up with everything happening in all the different teams versus if you have more focus on one team, it's gonna enable you. I mean, more speaking from the manager side, I, like it's going to enable you to have a better understanding of what's happening, have better discussions with the directs. Mm. And um, yeah, I think that's, that is the big difference. And I think like another difference then could be though, like, I mean, before perhaps like, I mean, I think one benefit of this, like the Chaplin model is like, then if you, if people move between teams, for instance, like then it's like, you're not, the manager isn't tied to the team. So it's kind of like natural to move between different teams. You don't need to change manager. Like, uh, I, if you then have more like a strict engineering manager setup where it's like, 
you're going to manage this team. Like every time someone moves team, like then you need to right. kind of move a manager as well. Yeah. But help me out how, who hasn't worked with Spotify. Are we talking about the roles that exist at the same point in time? So we have chapter leads, engineering manager, are we talking about different eras, so to speak? Yeah, so there was a, there was a transition from the chapter lead role into engineering manager. Okay, so so at some point in time, we had a ser- several roles, and I think everybody, the famous Spotify model, right? Yeah. The chapter leads, guilds, what else were they called? Team, you know, yeah, squads, like, yeah, and, squads and, and all that. Other cultures, and, like, yeah, yeah. PMs. And, and this was at a time, at a certain size, and with a certain focus, you know, that's how Spotify did it. And now that has evolved to something slightly different, right? Engineering manager, as an example. That's right. Oh. And and could you explain now what's the model now? Because because I get confused because I'm, is this at the same time? Are they at the, you know, how does it work? You have engineering manager yeah. for a feature team. I That's got right. that. I get so that. Like, I mean, so in in basics, like every team then has like two settings, like it's engineering manager and the sprite manager. Mm. So the engineering manager is like uh, like is uh, is managing like or has like more the people responsibility. Mm. And also like the delivery responsibility, and I would say like the the PM then. That's more like the like the product thinking, like uh, it's like talking with external stakeholders. Like think about like the long term, like product vision, and uh, and so forth. The team. So so the the, core, the key roles is engineering manager, product manager, search, as an example, right? That's right. And then of course like the engineers, of course. And but and because then you have and then you have several different feature teams with that sort of frame. But and do you do you talk about feature teams when it's also sort of more backend features or or how do, do you have? other types of roles or setups then we, we use the same lingo. So I think it's like, yeah, I mean, you have, uh, you have like the platform side as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if there's like this super set lingo, uh, to be honest, but it's like, I mean, there is this, like, I mean, the more the platform teams, like more like building infrastructure for others. And then it's mm. like the people using yeah. the infrastructures. I think those are like the two big, big distinctions I would say. Yes. Uh, and I mean, then like, yes, as an example, then I mean, you know, like someone is building like the infrastructure, like the data infrastructure, like then, uh, and then that's being used by multiple teams. So it's not actually like the team, like the people in the data infrastructure team are not like doing all the pipelining work, but they're building a the tooling for the people to do the pipelining work. Yeah. Now, should we perhaps move a bit more into the search team as well? Yeah. Yes. And, um, for sure. That would, I think most people understand basically what they do or the purpose is, and probably everyone has searched on Spotify. But what, what would, how would you describe what the search team is responsible for? So I would say it's like, it's, it's the, um, like the search experience, like having a great experience for people, like searching for something on, uh, on Spotify, mm-hmm. like and ensuring that they can find what they're, what they're looking for. And what are the challenges with that? I mean, we, we spoke in the beginning a bit about the horrible experience that you can have from search functionality from different, uh, e-commerce sites or yeah different companies Grocery sites. Yeah. So what are the challenges that Spotify has to actually have an awesome search experience? We would say. I'm thinking how much I can talk about like the challenges we, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I mean, I, I mean, of course, like it's like to the, like to the basics, it's coming down to like, uh, like what, what do the users have? I mean, the users come to search and they're going to have like the, like have something in mind, like they have something like, what do, what do, are they looking for? And of mm. course, like then you want to be as good as possible to understand what they're looking for mm. as quickly as possible. I mean, it's like, uh, I think like, uh, like one thing that's a bit special with Spotify search is just like the instant search. Like it's like search right. as you type. Right. 
which I think is like yes. is a, yeah, it's a yeah. bit it's a bit different. So I mean, in that setting, it's also like, of course like with the fewest uh, like as quickly as possible understanding what uh, as what few types as possible. It starts to wrap up what different artists comes up. That's right. It's, yeah. it's John, and before you written Taylor. <laughs> You, you get the search for it and then it's, of course. Yeah. yeah. And then, I mean, it's like, yeah, I mean, it's like, it's very broad, but then of course there's like the whole subject of personalization. So if you type mm -hmm. something in it, if you type something, ah, I mean, right. uh, then you want to have like, like, I mean, or maybe you want to have the same results, but I mean, uh, like probably you have different, uh, like music tastes and so on. You probably have like what's relevant for you. It's maybe not be relevant for, for you. So how would you describe, you know, how the team is structured and yeah. the, perhaps the, the main responsibilities that the team has, or how would you describe that? Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, um, I would say it's like, it's, uh, like a few different teams, like it's more like an API team, like more having like the interface towards search, mm. it's like more the indexing side, like indexing all the, all the different content we have. Right. And then it's more like a, like a retrieval also like focus like on uh, optimizing like the retrieval aspects and then like then uh, like the ranking team then uh, like how do you rank the results um and, and uh, that uh, that is basically different teams that do the different parts like ranking etc that's right mm -hmm. so it's like i mean search when you say like it's a feature team it's not really a feature team anymore it's like more uh, it's a group of of teams but i, I would say like yes. a search like i mean search i think it's nice to think of search as a feature mm -hmm. but i mean this inside search there are, inside search there are multiple teams yeah, so it's mm. it's like a domain with subdomains in some ways. Yeah, that's right. And then I mean, there's a, there's a team like more working on like uh, like insights and evaluation, and there's a, then I mean more the the, the user facing client team as well. Um, can you just give some numbers to you know how many searches do you, do you actually get per day or something? Or do you have any numbers on that? Um, I don't know. I mean, but I, I mean, do you know? I mean, if you think about how many people using using Spotify. Mm. And then, I mean, uh, I mean, you can, from that, I think I like, make a guess of like, it's, it's, I mean, it's going to be a lot of, <laughs> a lot of searches. So it's hundreds of millions of active users. And therefore it should be at least millions of users searching as well. Right. That's right. Every day. Yeah. More or less. Cool. Um, and yeah. So, so what can you give a bit more understanding of what are the different teams? Uh, it's least like five teams or something, or how many teams are there? Yeah, about uh, about five. Mm. I, would, um, I mean, I would say like the the search problem like can be. I mean, if you take more on this the backend side, mm. like you can split it in some sense between this like there's a retrieval focus and there's a ranking focus. Mm. It's like you want to retrieve you want to retrieve candidates, and then you want to rank them to have right. a, like a good good ordering. And that's uh, I mean that's also like uh, like more on the like how it's structured right now in the inside search. Right, right, right. So retrieval in that way is basically trying to find a candidate for a specific query and, uh, and, and finding that from whatever catalog you have. That's right. So, I mean, of, of course, ideally, like you would, you wanted to like find, but I mean, if you think of that, there's like, like, like I mean, there's millions of items in the catalog as well. Mm. It's like, so then like looking at like every single, I mean, Ideally, you could look at like every single item in the catalog and then like uh, by some way, like, of course, then may maybe some ML function or something. Like yeah. to understand like which is the best, uh, what is the best result to return for this query? Mm. But I mean, but then that is, uh, is unfeasible like with, uh, like with the size of, with the number of uh, entities. And that's why it's like gets the split between the retrieval side and more the ranking side. Right. But the ranking then is doing this like the more, the, like the more, the more costly uh, side. 
So ah. how, and you mentioned machine learning, and, and of course that's uh, one of our favorite topics, uh, surprisingly. But how can you make use of machine learning in the search team today? Um, can, can you give some examples of that? Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, mm. I would say, I mean, I guess like just start with it. I think it's like what's interesting with search or I mean, it's uh, like it's, I mean, search is a domain, of course, like, or it's like, I mean, uh, I think, but I would say like, it's like now if you want to be good, like you say that if you want to be a domain expert in search, like how do I improve search? Like maybe from a research side as well, mm. then you basically like need to know machine learning. I'm, I'm sure there's like maybe some subfields of search that doesn't, but I mean, it's like, it's more, it's just like it's transitioning. So it's not like you're going to be like this also like with the central team and the domain team again, like, I mean, it's not like you're going to have, uh, like, or I mean, you need to have the ML expertise in search because if you want to have the main knowledge on search, you need to also like have the, like the ML knowledge. That's what I would say. Mm. So basically you need to have people who knows machine learning, but they actually understands the search problem, you know, hardcore, yeah. what, what is the right type of machine learning? What is the right type of math? That's right. Uh, here, That's here right. For, for, for a search problem. That's right. And I think then like coming back to then the question on how you use machine learning, I think like one, uh, like one, I mean, one primary example is like, there is this, like the concept of learning to rank, right. which is like a more, like an, um, like an, uh, like an ML algorithm or I would say, like, I mean, where it's like more just like the training examples, or I mean, you want to learn from like you for a query, you're going to have like then some, some graded results. And it's going to say like, this is relevant, this is not relevant. And so, mm. and then if you produce a lot of those examples, and then you take that and then you, then you're going to learn like in this like demo process, like then learn what are good results for a specific query. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you really have the right, you, you have all the results. You did, someone did a search and someone started to listen and how long did they listen for? And all of a sudden you can do, a, you know, you can really build up a training data set of, you know, where, when was a search successful? That's right. Yeah. And I guess you can use a lot of uh, inputs to the ML algorithms for search as well. Yeah. Uh, can you mention some inputs that you can potentially use to try to improve the, the search experience? Yeah, of course. So, I mean, there's, uh, there's of course like a ton of different, and I think this is like, uh, like, I mean, of course, like there's can be like, like a lot of the work you can do can be just like coming up with new features. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, what features do you want to have? Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, yes, the, to think of some, of course, like the, like the edit distance, like in, it's a good feature. So edit this, you have to unpack that a bit. I think of course. Edit, so. I mean, if you search for, if you search for something, I don't, <laughs> I don't come up with a good example now, mm-hmm. and then you get like, you're going to get a bunch of candidates back. Yeah. Now, like, I mean, how close are the, like the, the title of those candidates to what you search for? Right. So just looking at the actual letters in the query or of the name of an artist or a song, and then That's seeing right. how similar they are from a letter point of view, so to speak. Yeah. So if you search for, if you search for John and then you have like uh, John Lennon as one of the candidates, like, I mean, how, I mean, that is going to be like a better match. than if you have uh, Abba as like mm-hmm. another. Mm-hmm. Cool. So edits, edit distance is one, I guess. Um, any right. other inputs that you can mention? So I think like, I think one interesting feature is like uh, like a feature built by a different team, which yeah. it's a build, it's a little bit similar. Like it's or it's also a distance, mm-hmm. but it's more like a taste distance. Mm-hmm. So if you have uh, if you have like if you think of your like uh, like the user, like I mean. Uh, you, Henrik, like uh, what you're searching for and like how that's going to differ from your results. And he yeah. doesn't have as good taste in music as no, no, I do so with uh, dance band music. Dance band, yeah. uh, and this is quite <laughs> the distance to, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So we have some distance. Full fighters. Yeah. So then say that you have like some way to represent your, your taste in music. Mm. Then you have like the same representation on the different tracks as well. It's like, you then have, uh, then you can like, take the distance between. So this is like, uh, I really like dance band. Mm. And this, this track is dance band. 
So then, uh, like, I mean, maybe they, like the, like the, it's like different from the other distance. Like, I mean, it doesn't uh, it doesn't matter like what you search for, but it's more like the taste of the music. So it's like, uh, like uh, yeah, like how does uh, basically like the distance is like how does this match my taste? So it's more a personalization kind of measure of trying to match the artist to what I probably will like because of my taste. In some way. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think like, uh, I think one interesting aspect of this is like it's also like an interesting uh, like more how you can like work with ML across the company because mm. this is like it's not it, we don't build this feature. This is a different team like building this feature and it's used for many different things inside Spotify. Mm. But we're able to like uh, use this feature then ourselves like because it's like it's such a like, I mean, it's like the taste of a user and the taste like, or, um, I mean, I don't know if you should say like a taste of a, of a track, but more like where does, uh, where does that fit in that like the taste space? But I mean, that's a feature used for many different things. And I think also we need to be a bit more concrete because people, you know, could be thinking, you know, taste, how do you measure the distance between taste? And, and I guess we can, I don't sure what you use these days to speak about this taste, but at least to say it is some kind of vector, right? Or how would you describe what that kind of taste is represented as, so to speak? That's right. It's a, it's a vector. And a vector is basically a, like a list of numbers. Yeah, that's right. Do you remember the size of the vector that we have right now? Uh, or no? Uh, I do, but I don't know if you've shared it publicly, uh, so uh, I, I think it's better to not, <laughs> not say. I was also careful. Yeah. There. Cool. But basically you have a vector of uh, more than 10 numbers, <laughs> you would say that. And, uh, and that basically you can calculate the distance, like cosine similarity or edit or the dot product basically between them. And, and you yeah, that's right. This is how different dance band is from Foo Fighters, from bad music yeah. tastes like Foo Fighters. No, I actually <laughs> like Foo Fighters. So I think, so I mean, I mean, uh, <laughs> like, like more generally, I mean, uh, like, I, like it's just like you can think of it like as a way of getting like how close is this thing and this thing in, uh, in, in taste. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. And, and so in that way, that's a way to basically personalize by using a product of another machine learning team. And you can use that as an input to then do ranking, I guess, in the search team, right? That's right. So I think it's like, I mean, it's, it's a nice example, like with uh, like a very useful feature, like provided by one team and then like able to be used by multiple teams in Spotify. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course, like we have a lot of like more search specific features as well. Um, yeah, yes, I mean, there's a, like it's, it's like, I mean, uh, I would say like whatever you can come up with, like if you like, it's more like the imagination that's like the blocker, like what, what would be a good feature and then. And, awesome. yeah. and, uh, I mean, maybe you, you can talk about this in general terms, but, uh, how do you understand your, your sort of ro roadmap of search or where you're going and what's the direction of you know, where, where your vision is for search? Can you take, say anything about how you envision, you know, where you're going with it? What the next steps are and so? Yeah. Um, I don't think I can talk too much about it. No. Um, I would say like, the only thing I would say is like, I mean, it has evolved, like it is evolving quite a bit. Mm. So if you are searching for something and it's like, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, you can definitely notice like how it's changing like uh, uh, over time. Like maybe some things that didn't work before, it's kind of work now. Mm. I think that's like, uh, it's more, um, like, I mean, it's the, it's the focus to fix these things that aren't working. Yeah. And how, and how do you identify, you know, improvement areas or what is not working? Is it sort of from customer feedback or yeah. yourself or how do you, exp how do you get your inspiration, so to speak? Do yeah. you have a system for that? So one thing, I mean, can be more, um, like, like looking at the data, like mm. maybe like if you do, like you can look at like, like segment, segmenting the data in different ways. Like mm. it's like, it's uh, maybe different countries or maybe different uh, queries, like, uh, you can see there, like, where is it room for opp like, opportunity for improvement? Mm. I mean, that's that's one way of doing it. 
And I think like something that's very interesting in this, like in working search, and that's like the like we also have like a lot of user researchers mm. working search. So it's like uh, coming back to this, like the, the sense of the feature team. It's like or the autonomy is also like it's uh, in like it's like uh, it's really like we're working with search, and it's like one big team working with search. We have like very cross-disciplined uh, like people in that team. So we also have user researchers that can then like talk with users and like ask them to like do different things. Like uh, can you try to find this? Uh, or what did you maybe like? What did you look for recently? And then like talk with them like what they expect and like what they got from from the search results. And then from that like also then identifying like improvement areas. You open up a very interesting topic, and we have to go there now. Sorry, <laughs> because we the first impression we can get we're working in a, in search, and there's an engineering team, and, and and of course there's a lot of engineer side. But now, really, what you what we stumble into is actually what I think is super imp important to understand the full understanding of the team disciplines. I'm like, this is an interdisciplinary team that is sort of working. So, so sometimes it's always an engineering company. Well, it's it is, but could yeah. you could you elaborate on on the on the more other roles than the engineering roles here and how this how that works? Yeah, um, because I think this is important. A lot of people misunderstand how much business, you know, psychologists, you know, many different facets that you need in a great team. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I agree. I mean, I think that's uh, as I mentioned. I think that's what's so great with working search. It's just like uh, both the, like you the said cross, it. Yeah, you stole it. I stole it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to highlight it, and I wanted to explore yeah. it. What's what is it? In no, it's a, it's a good point. Uh, I mean, so I mean, uh, like, so one thing is just like the engineers, but then you have like multiple disciplines of engineers. Mm. So, I mean, we have data engineers, we have backend engineers, we have ML engineers, mm. we have also uh, like front end engineers, of mm -hmm. course. UX, uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, I mean, besides that, you have like, uh, like the data, data scientists mm -hmm. and you have the user researchers and then you have like then, uh, and what uh, is a user researcher? What's the profile of a user researcher? You so, so people can follow. So it's on my, like conducting this, like the user research, like maybe before COVID, like traveling to meeting up with people and talking about them, like, like uh, focus groups, stuff like that, market, focus groups market and research like, uh, types. Yeah. And, and a lot of like user, uh, user interviews as well. Yeah. yeah. Interviews. Yeah. Um, we used to have this uh, uh, like uh, this room, like also like I mean, where like was this like spy mirror, <laughs> so you could have like for uh, using for for this type of thing, like for yeah, the focus group. So. Focus group, yeah. yeah. So I mean, I, I think those. I hope I'm not forgetting any discipline, but I mean, I think those are more the ICs ones, and then it's like uh, like the individual contributors, and it's like the like the engineering managers, and then we have like the product managers. And, oh. and and what about uh, so if you're UX engineer is that also where you know the service design um, CX experience and all that is is that sort of taking care of the No that's a, that's a great point so I forgot about the designers thank you thank oh. you <laughs> otherwise you can't go to work tomorrow yeah. I'm going to do a shout out to Leandro he asked me to <laughs> shout out to him so oh, okay. he's one of the designers cool and then the design and, and 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 what is the job of the designer in this context so it's uh, it is like I mean designing the search experience and also I think like more on a on a prototype stage as well. Mm. Like more like thinking like more on a design prototype. Like what would be, yeah, how, how could that look like in coming up with like different ideas? Mm. Cool, awesome. Uh, I see really the cool. time is flying away here, yeah. and and we have too many topics to cover. And um, I thought I could let you Anders decide, and I give you a number of topics to choose from, and you can decide which one to take on. Okay. One is privacy and GDPR and, and how Spotify is trying to manage that in a nice way. 
Another topic could be just thinking about, you know, the last decade of Spotify and, and some major highlights that we could talk about. Uh, we could also speak about potentially, you know, how we approach or how, how you approach uh, agile uh, development in general. I mean, Spotify is in, in many ways seen as a role model mm-hmm. when it comes to how to truly, you know, become agile. Uh, that could be interesting to also speak about. Mm-hmm. And perhaps another final topic could be, I think Spotify is one of the few examples that have been able to overcome the big tech giants in the world. And even though Google and Amazon and Apple and everyone has been trying to build a music service, Spotify has still persisted and won in the end, so to speak. And and that's really cool that a small startup starting from Sweden is able to take on the tech giants and win. And and why is that? That could be interesting to hear. Okay, so uh, tech giants, agile, highlights, uh, privacy. Any any preference? <laughs> oh, I don't know. Uh, I think the privacy is maybe it's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's also like a bit a uh, bit nerdy if you want to go, or it can be if you if you want to. I think it's a super important thing, uh, you know, to, just to give my view on it to start with, and and then we can start speaking a bit more about how Spotify. Um, is able to take it on. I think it's a very challenging thing, and there is new regulation coming in place soon from EU as well, called the AI Act. That will be another, you know, way of perhaps focusing then more on AI than data, but still provide regulation that can be hurtful unless done properly. And um, also, GDPR in some way has had the intention, I would argue, to limit a bit the big. Leap gap uh, position that tech giants have today, and and trying to take ownership in some way of the data that they have. But in reality, what happened is that they create a lot of legislation and, and and rules that made it super hard for normal companies to be compliant with that. So they rather took you know became safe than sorry and, and said you know ah perhaps we can't use that data let's just erase it and then we can't build AI services on top of it. And 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 the big tech giants had no problem, and actually Spotify didn't either because they, they have you know taken this very seriously, of course. But a lot of other companies that are much smaller and don't have the legal resources are really scared about this, uh, and I think it's a big issue. Uh, for one, before we go into Spotify, would you agree with that assessment that you know it is potentially an issue with GDPR and and how people or companies are approaching using data and AI for their functionality? I think, I mean, I would say like primarily, I think it's like, it's, uh, like it's good with this, like, I mean, with the focus of user privacy and like, I mean, having the regulation, like, I mean, or I think having some regulation, like to ensure like users privacy is, yeah, uh, it's like the rights of a user. I think that's a good thing. Yeah, no so, question yeah. about that. It's super important. And I think the intention of GDPR is, 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 is great. And yeah. I think we all agree with that. I think it's more a question of implementation in this case. Yeah. Right? But of course, like, I mean, then if it's, um, like, I mean, uh, or I mean, if it's if it's timely, or I mean, it's uh, like a costly implementation. Maybe that's going to be harder for smaller companies. I would also, I mean, assume though, like if you're, are, are you compliant and hudesbevoktin.se? So what I do there is like uh, <laughs> <laughs> no comments. Opt, no opt, comments. In, opt in, opt out. <laughs> uh, there, I delete everything. Like when a user uh, like wants to be deleted. Mm. Uh, so I think I mean, I, if people ask for it, I can give them. I don't. I don't. So I basically I don't store anything. I don't have any. Yeah. Uh, I don't store any like user data. Yeah, but, but I hope you see my point. You know? Yeah, of course, uh, of course. It is troublesome to to be a proper uh, 
processor or data controller yeah. and all these kind of you know, rules that you have to abide by if you want to be properly GDPR compliant at least. Right. But, but what is your what is your angle on it, or, 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 or you know, if you go into the topic from your angle, or whatever your angle? Yeah. Is. So I mean, first of all, I think like as a consumer, I think it's great. Like this, like or I mean, having like more. I mean, of course, like maybe it can be improved, but like, I mean, having some like uh, like these different rights you have uh, under GDPR, like the, it's like it's great, and I mean, it's like super important to just like the protection of the user user privacy. And I think like then the angle I wanted to take was more just like the nerdy angle, to be honest. And it was oh, like, let's yeah, go there. I was, yeah. what, where's the nerdiness? Come on, <laughs> I wanted to hear some yeah. nerdy stuff. Okay, so it's like, it's more like this specific thing that, like, so one thing I was more on the data side is like the right to erasure, like, I mean, or right to be forgotten, I think it's called as well. Mm-hmm. Like more of when, when you request like to have your data yes. deleted, like, and then how do you handle that in like in a- In a huge system. In a huge system, exactly. And I think that's like, um, Okay, I mean, it actually, like then, like the setup we have at Spotify is quite like like easy to explain, or it's like quite quick to explain, because it's like what we do is then called the crypto shredding. It's like it's the concept is like all the user data is going to be encrypted, and then you're going to have like the like the the encryption keys, and then when a user wants to be deleted, then you're going to delete the key. So then, yeah, so it's like it's a, it's quite short like explanation, but it's like it's uh, Power, very simple but effective. Yeah, and it's like then moves. I mean, uh, I mean, of course, like the other approach would be, or I mean, one approach could be like when user asks to be deleted, then you're gonna go over all the data, like find the data for that user, and remove it. But that's like uh, it's. But you, be- you, I think this is very interesting because technically you went another route. We we encrypt everything, so we we're doing it hardcore. But it also means you find it much cheaper, easier way to be the right to be forgotten, to, to, to comply to that. Perhaps we need to unpack it a bit more because all the potential PII information then personally yeah. identifiable information is then encrypted, right? That's correct. In all the data sets where that data may exist. And then they have a key somewhere and it's stored in a separate table. And if that key is shredded in some way, yeah. there is no way to uncrypt it. So therefore the data is not available anymore. Is that correct? That's right. Yes. Mm. So that's uh, that is the setup. Mm. Was that something you strategized from the start? Because I I, I think more people sh- maybe should look at go down this route because I a lot of people are, are doing oh is this is, is sensitive data or is it safe? You know, Scania level two three you know like this, yeah. and then and not until then do we encrypt data. And here we kind of the strategy is quite different. We really focus on getting in good at encryption, and now we have a different route. I think it's very, very interesting. Yeah, and I can also mention like there is a like a nice uh, like um, on the Spotify engineering blog there is like a talk, like a Tech Bytes talk about uh, if you search for Spotify crypto shredding, mm. you're gonna find it. That's like more explains it in detail as well on the on the service side as well. But it sounds almost like a fairly strategic. I, I, this is the direction on how to look at this problem or topic that you the Spotify took. Or, is it, or was it conscious? I mean, like, like, like. I would say, like, so to, to be honest, because so, I was working in a team, like, when we did the first implementation of this, yeah. I think, like, we kind of, like, stumbled upon it because it was, like, this, like, the right to be forgotten. Uh-huh. Was this, like, the lawsuit? Like, the, I think it was in yeah. Spain. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and it was this, like, uh, we know that it was coming. We we're talking with legal. Like, we need to, like, come up with what to do. And it was, like, a bit, uh, and then it was, like, a more, like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Mm. And, like, someone came up with this, like, more, uh, like, like, this, like, the concept basically on, and I'm sure maybe it's like, it's something that's, uh, like so, I think now at least like, it's probably like, well, like it's called crypto shredding, but I think like at the time when it came up, it was more like someone had this like insight that this is like, it's a good approach for doing it. And it's like, it's, uh, when, when mentioned, it's like made total sense, but before like, it's kind of, 
like a more like uh, some sort of revelation, like almost like when it's like. Uh, so you were there cracking. Someone cracked it in a workshop, sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So it actually was a Spotify invention, you would say as well. No, uh, I don't think it was, uh, or I, I don't know if it was. I don't. I'm not claiming it was in any sense. Yeah. But I mean, it was. Uh, That's what it felt in the workshop when you came up with it, because no one had read about it at that point. I would say like, uh, or at least my, my impression from the workshop was like, there was like, uh, if maybe someone else had come up with it, there was also like then re rediscovered in that workshop. Mm. That was my, my feeling at the time. Mm. And I think, uh, like if you want to go more, um, like, I don't know how much you want to go down the, like the nerdy rabbit hole, but I think like then, like, of course, like then, so say that you have all the data encrypted, like, and then, but then you need to like process one of those data fields. Like what is mm. the, like, there, of course, there's going to be a drawback with that. Yes, exactly. And that is like, you need to then join with the, uh, with, um, with the keys. Mm. Like, to ask, and access do that the decryption as well. And do the decryption. So that, of course, like you're kind of like offsetting like this, it's going to be very cheap, like to remove, um, uh, to remove someone's like data because yes, uh, you remove the key, but like uh, then any data processing you want to do in PII fields, it's going to be more costly. So it's everything is a, is a, is pros and cons, right? Drawbacks yeah. and all that. So it's it's compromises. That's right. That's right. Yeah, a really smart, I think, approach. I like that. that too. I, I really like it. More companies could could take advantage of to but be compliant. I think a lot of the traditional companies, for some reason, is a little bit like we talk about oh, we can encrypt this and this and this. But then when I re- look at it, we, we we have kind of a lot of times gone another route. Right, so we are not taking the data in, or we're doing something else like that. No. So it's it's like it's almost like we, we you know we don't want to do this as part of our core standard process. Oh, it's going to be so heavy and so costly. I'm not sure if that's that hard. I mean, like, of course, it's more cost, right, as you highlight. But maybe use bite the bullet, learn how to you know use these techniques, yeah. and then do them well and robust. And then in the end, that will be maybe easier. I would say, I mean, this like the first version of the, like of doing it was quite like quite easy to set up. Then, I mean, of course, then the big part is this like then again, like more this like the central mandate, like now this is the way we're going to do it. Like mm. everyone needs to encrypt their data. And it's like all the, well, all the data we have needs to be encrypted in this setup. Like this is what we're going to do. And then like get all the teams to do that, like on the deadline. And that's the change management yeah. headache yeah. almost even more. And I think that's technical. like, I mean, that's more when coming back to the question, I mean, that's like as a bigger company, you're going to have more data. It's going to be more teams working with data. It's going to be more kind of like that setup is going to be more annoying for a big company mm. versus a small company. Maybe you have like only one team owning all the data and they can probably do it. I mean, Quite of course it's going to be work, but it's like, it's uh, yeah. yeah. But I, I think that was a very good, uh, that's a good tip. Yeah. So. Awesome. Let's move to some more philosophical questions. I think my favorite top, topic of discussion, besides nerdiness, of course, that's always fun to, to do. But if we go a bit more general and, and speak about data and AI, and, and of course it can be abused, but it can also be used and, and help with a lot of things. What would you say uh, the potential is for companies uh, that potentially are thinking about using data and AI? And if they do that, what will the, would the potential benefits be in some way? It's a very general question, I know. But yeah, it's super general. Yeah. But I mean, I um, isn't that like, in, like just coming back to what we started talking about in the very beginning of the conversation, mm-hmm. like this with the expert system. I mean, I, yes, like exactly. starting with this, going for this like very, like, I mean, you wanted to go for some, uh, like I'm going for the very complex solution. I mean, I, it's probably mm-hmm. better to start with something more simple. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would say, I mean, also like in this, um, like in, in the search setting, it's not like we're we're not there like saying like we need to work with ML. It's more like we're gonna solve 
we're going to solve like user problems and like specific problems. And then like, yeah. uh, like at the level we're at right now, like to do that, we need to work with ML. Mm-hmm. But I think like if from a company side, I don't think, I mean, it's, I think it's a strange mindset to go into something and say like, we're going to work with ML. Like, and we need to work with ML. I think it's better, better to look at what problems do you have and like, how are you going nice. to solve those problems? Mm-hmm. But then like to, yes, to complement that slightly or like to, uh, like to, I guess like, what do you say? Like, uh, contradict myself. Mm. I mean, I, I, of course, also like if you don't know about ML, like you haven't done nothing with ML, then you don't kind of know the potential either. Right. So, I mean, then doing something more for like the learning focus, maybe it's um, like more trying out something like to learn how it, how it works. Yeah. So then you have like ML as a tool. I mean, that makes sense. But more like then going into like the mindset, we're going to, we're going to be like ML driven, like everything we do is going to be with ML. Like, I mean, that sounds strange to me. It's more like you want to solve some problems and then maybe ML is going to be like a good way to do it. So ML is not the goal in itself, so to speak. The, yeah. the problem, the the actual, you know, s- the solution you want to build is yeah. the, the reason and then you should find the right toolbox. But I think this also comes back to what we have mentioned a number of times, which is the, the catch-22 problem of yeah. you can have domain experts, a person expert in, in searching, for example, but let's say they don't know about ML and they don't understand the technology, how could they ever understand when or why it would be useful to use ML? And then we have the other side, which is could, could potentially be data scientists that are super knowledgeable in ML, but they have no clue about search yeah. domain. So they don't know what the proper thing to do is from a data science point of view. And the domain experts in search don't know what to use in ML. And then they have this kind of catch-22 problem would you agree with that? And, and if so, what's the what's the solution? Please, if you tell us, please. Yeah. No, I mean, I, I definitely agree, but I think that's, uh, I I mean, I, I don't have like the perfect solution, but I think this like the learning aspect then, like, I mean, perhaps then like the, like, I mean, if the domain uh, experts don't have like the ML, but it's like the data scientists do, and maybe like, wouldn't it then, like, I mean, maybe they can do some more joint, like, uh, like proof of concept or something more, like not with maybe the aim of like, this is going to be, like, uh, like replacing everything, but more like as a learning experience, like the, like the domain expert is like kind of be learning about it. Like that's the more the focus. But I want to, I want to unpack this a little bit because I think, th- I think this is a very important problem that we need to understand, right? Because at some point you're, you, you know, you, you're, you're a tech company and using tech. And then we can argue, well, which tech to use. But clearly what I see is like the tech companies who, who are, have innovation in their DNA, so to speak, they are, coming into the problem with the right mindset, you know, I have a problem, I want to solve it. And then they have tech savviness to start understanding what type of problem can, what type of solution or technology fits this problem all the way up to now, now we are mature to to say uh, ML is a good idea. I mean, like the real problem, if I take Sweden as a, as, as a average, is like we have so little knowledge at all around data and AI, I would argue. So we don't even understand we have a problem, although we are working on pen and paper. So you could you can take this whole story all the way back to I'm, I'm riding a horse. I don't know that cars exist. So, you know. Oh, I don't really know that, you know, we need to find a problem. Well, the problem with my horse is that it it shits too much, right? So, so we have this huge gap, I think is the problem that uh, companies are not exploring or not trying and not learning. So, so this divide between people who are doing that and have that in their DNA is just growing and growing and growing. So, I mean, like, I think that's the catch 22 that, well, 
you might understand that there is huge potential in some technologies and data. So, yeah. so maybe you need to experiment to learn in order to yeah. basically be able to frame the problem yeah. in, in a new light. I don't know. Yeah. I think this is a real catch 22. But definitely, I mean, I agree with that, like the experiment to learn. And I know also like we've done a lot of like internal trainings at Spotify, like there's both mm. like for engineers, mm. I can also, but for PMs, like more like, uh, like machine learning for PMs, like to more get a, like understanding of like what, what it can bring. Yeah. So I think this like the learning concept, but then like, but your analogy with this, like you're, you have a car or you have a horse and you don't know about cars. But then, I mean, in, in reality, like in that analogy, you would be out on your car, on your horse, and then you're going to be overtaken by a car. Yeah. And then you're going to know like, what was, what was that? And you're probably going to, I mean, you're going to, it's like, I mean, it's not like you wouldn't know about yeah, but cars. And I think like in the same setting, maybe like if you have, I don't know what it would be exactly, but in the search domain, maybe you have like this, like, yeah. Uh, you have some uh, e-commerce site or something, and then it's like, and you feel like this isn't really working on my site. And then you, maybe you, I mean, you can, without knowing about them, you can go to like a different site and like try out something and see like that works there. Like what are they doing? Maybe you can, like, if you're not a competitor, maybe you can talk with them. Maybe you can uh, go more. I mean, it's like, if you have curiosity, I think it's like, it's, uh, but it feels I, like you should I, be able to. I, uh, I understand what you're saying, but I would argue th then people riding on their horse must be sleeping because if they don't understand that there are five or 10 companies in the world that are worth much, much more than the rest of the world. And they're clearly, you know, going, they, they, are, they are on a different planet in terms of how they operate in terms of, you know, and can use data and AI. And literally, I think then the problem is that, well, they, they don't belong to my industry. So they are, you're comparing yourself with your peers. So basically, I don't know. So it's a little bit like, have you been asleep now driving your horse for the last five years? I, I'm serious. I mean, like even, even quite large corporations where I think where inside the company, some people know exactly about it. The AI divide exists inside companies. So I mean, so what's the problem here? Are we asleep then and being overtaken by cars? I, I think so. It's a, uh, it's very hard for me to say, cause I guess like you are so, uh, no, I mean, I, I'm also like, I mean, I, now I've been for Spotify for soon 10 years. So I have like, that's where I've been. So I don't really, I mean, that's like, it's, it's hard to compare with other companies. I mean, I've, I've been working mainly within, within, within Spotify. No, but, uh, and I think this is the, this is really good, right? Because the, the, from the outside, it, I think you have a very fantastic culture of, of learning and innovation and experimentation as part of the DNA in the company. I mean, like we've talked about this, we're going to fail the fastest, right? Uh, that's amazing. And, and that is not really, I think the, the cultural standard in most organizations and companies in Sweden today. So I think in one way you are living the dream in this way that, you know, you are not sitting and falling asleep on your horse. You will notice when another search engine is better. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> no, but uh, for sure. But I mean, it's also like, of course, like the different domains for yeah. Like, I mean, just comparing back with like the, the space corporation, if you're building, like, I mean, if you're building satellites, it's not like you want to, you don't want to build like super fast, like the satellites send them up and then they're going to like, they're going to crash. I mean, it's like, you need to. And yeah, it's yeah. a different domain. Of course. Like, I mean, it's like, uh, yeah, so it depends. I mean, I mean, I guess like you mentioned, like you work at Scania, like, I mean, also like you don't have. I mean, you have the safety regulation. You don't yeah. want to have like this, like the truck that just runs uh, berserk. Nope. I mean, there's a uh, very nope. different. Uh, so we, we need to do it in a different way. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> but speaking about the space corporation, I, th I think that's an interesting one. And, and then speaking about tech giants and, and we have, you know, the Elon Musk companies of the world, like SpaceX, et cetera, that is in some way disrupting also the space industry. Would you agree for one that that is happening right now? 
Ja, det, att SpaceX det, is disrupting the space industry and, and taking over more and more in how to truly do space travel. Uh, I guess like, I mean uh, by this like bringing down the like the launch cost yeah. like uh, yeah uh, for sure uh, like a tenth of the cost or whatever it is I don't know yeah I, I don't know either but it's like of course like that's uh, that's a huge uh, huge change and um, yeah yeah and but yeah <laughs> so going back a bit to the issue that I would argue at least that Elon Musk you know have all these kind of companies you know with Tesla and SpaceX and uh, Neuralink and Boring Company and uh, PayPal and, and all not Starlink and I uh, can continue and and it's a bit surprising how he's been able to do that and we also have the tech giants as we mentioned and for one we have Spotify that's been able to actually overtake the tech giants, uh, which is, I think, really surprising and amazing in some way that the startup can actually take over, even though the Google and the Amazon and, and Apple, Apple of the world tried to win in the music industry but failed. How? Why would you say, for one, a company like Spotify or a company like SpaceX, SpaceX were able to disrupt and take over NASA's of the world and, and other like normal space industry companies? What do you think that the big, what's the secret? <laughs> Super simple question. Yeah. <laughs> but do you see my point? You know, it's sometimes, you know, a small company is able to overtake the big giants and then disrupt the market in some way. Yeah, for sure. Why do you think that is? Do you think there is some easy way to, to understand this? I don't know, but I mean, isn't it also like going back to this, like the innovator's dilemma and it's like, yes. the, it's like the smaller exactly. startups, like more nimble, like faster moving, maybe targeting a customer segment that doesn't uh, like the the big giants aren't aren't looking at. Uh, then of course, I mean, it's very hard to do predictions for the future. So it's like, I mean, but I mean, it's uh, like this also like the question of like smaller companies and so. But I mean, at the same time, like they're going to be faster. Like, like I mean, I I still believe in this like the innovator's dilemma, and it's like it's going to be. But like, the innovator's uh, dilemma says the opposite in some way. It says that the. Uh, the one that that's that is the first will fail in some way, right? But but still, I would argue that Spotify was the first, at least in doing music. In I this don't know way. the dilemma. What's the definition of the you know innovator's dilemma? Is it is it the fastest or is it the first or where is it? I don't know the definition. I <laughs> yeah, I I haven't read the book. It's like I have to admit. But I mean, uh, okay, way, the way I've thought of it is more this like the. Like the, the like the big uh, like the big company more getting complacent and it's like it's going to be the fast mover coming in from like yes. taking more this like, one I, this one this angle I understand yeah. and also like, I mean taking more the um, uh, I don't know if that's correct either but I mean I also thought of this like coming in and maybe taking like some some niche of the market that's not big at first but then it's going to be growing faster than overtaking uh, overtaking uh, like the majority like, I can mean like uh, like evolving of uh, I don't know what what's a good example but like. Uh, like the SSD disk, like overtaking like the more the, the previous like uh, disk drives, uh, like more. I mean, this like how it's like the generation of um, of product, like the yes. product development. Yeah, but but it's also I think the innovators dilemma also mentions the fact that the one that is the first in some field has to take the drawback of actually doing all the research and doing the yeah. heavy work of making that new way, the new approach actually do work. And that means that other, some other companies, perhaps from China or whatnot, can then overtake them, but, but by not having all the research work necessary to actually make this work, therefore yeah. the first mover is losing out. Uh, how, hence the, the innovator is losing <laughs> in some way. 
Um, so it's also a problem of being a first mover uh, in some kind of field sometimes. But that was not the case for Spotify. And I don't think it was the case for SpaceX either. And, and they still succeeded in some way. Isn't it also, I mean, so now, I mean, again, I haven't read the book, but I'm thinking I've thought of it more as like, uh, like if you think like, uh, like in the automotive industry, maybe like then Ford wasn't the first. Yeah. I'm guessing I'm not an expert here, but I'm guessing like they weren't the first like no. a car. Yeah. But then like they were overtaken in the industry. Mm. But I mean, isn't it also true like then, like they didn't, then they didn't innovate. Like it was like this, the T Ford and they kept it around for ages. And then like GM overtook them as like the major, like the main car company by then like innovating on top of Ford. So, so that's more, I thought of it like that. Like Ford, Ford, Ford actually wasn't the first, as you said, but yeah. what they were, were really good at was the production line, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so, so, so Ford's innovation is the production line and not the yeah, car but, invention. Yeah. So they weren't the, the car innovator. Yeah. Therefore they escaped the innovator dilemma and instead could take advantage of other innovators by yeah. just producing it and actually putting it in production, so to speak. Yeah, definitely. But I mean, then, in, but I mean, then also like, it's not like, I mean, Ford had this like huge market share of the car sales, mm. but I mean, then were, they were also like overtaken in some sense sure. then after that. So, I mean, but I they had I, a big success at least. Of course. Know. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I mean, they have, and I mean, but that's more how I thought of the innovative dilemmas. It's not about this. Like, I mean, it's about like this really successful company then being overtaken like later on. So it's not about, uh, or that's more have I have I thought about it? But I mean, uh, I, I agree with you. Like, it's a good point. But it's also like it's uh, like the first comer needs to do the. Yeah. But yes. but 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 could could we you know from let, let's talk Spotify. You know, are there any sort of small things or in in the culture or in the leadership or something that sort of makes this work, so to speak, in in something that supposedly shouldn't have worked. First of all, to get all the licensing and all that, that yeah. wasn't supposed to work, right? And then in the end, outcompete Apple, uh, you know, they, they with, with the iPod and all that and, and their music, iTunes, and iTunes they were of course the ones that should be supreme on this, you know, from the outside. Or if, if you look at iTunes and where, where iPod, uh, the iPod was at this point in time, but so could, can we find some ingredients that, uh, you know, I think this whole innovation and fail fast and agile, I mean, like the core DNA of Spotify and what you are now, people are really, you know, we love you because you're, you know, the best of in agile, like a, like a role model. I, I think those things is probably one part of this ingredient that we, you, you were good at innovating and moving fast continuously, even when you scale. Yeah. Uh, this is my outside view on this. I don't know. There was the inside view. I mean, uh, like what I what I see more like from the inside, or what I think of this, like the like, I mean, personally, I think this like the autonomous team is uh, like is hugely uh, like important. Like it kind of like having this like the like the speed of execution by the autonomous team. I think that is uh, has been like a huge huge thing. Mm. I, and I think like more. So what happens if you don't have autonomous team? What happens then? Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I would phrase it this, I like, guess, in like the more, just like the classic, like motivational side as well. Like it's more interesting to be told, like you get a problem to solve mm. than getting like told, this is how you're going to solve it. Yeah. Isn't that like the, like, yeah, like yeah, a basic yeah, yeah, explanation of it? So it's like, it's going to be more, it's going to be more rewarding. It's going to be more fun. It's going to be more like, easy to attract people. It's going to be easier to retain good people. It's, uh, like, like that, that aspect. I mean, I, I thought, certainly agree. And, and you feel you get the, sense of pride, so to speak, because you made the decisions to how to solve this. Yeah. You also have the cross-disciplinary kind of setup where you basically can iterate very quickly because you own the whole part of a certain 
function, a certain product or feature. And being, if you didn't have that, you would have to have a lot of dependencies to other teams, which means that you have to be, you know, you are so dependent on them, so you can't move quickly anymore. Yeah. So this kind of connection, I would say, with autonomous and also having interdisciplinary teams that works and owns a specific part that they can choose how to work with themselves. That's right, of course. Like yes. you also need like this the speed of execution also coming from, of course, like having like if you're autonomous, also like in making your own decisions, like in how to proceed. Because so, of course, like you don't want to be you don't want to be blocked all the time by other people. Like that's uh, yeah. that's important, of course. Let, let me try to quote uh, Lalle. Lars Albertson, you, you, I guess you, did you work with Lalle as well at some point? Yeah, I did. I, I interviewed him as well. <laughs> That's right. Uh, that's funny. Uh, but he says, he says it's some, you know, we talk about, you know, that you went for Hadoop and, and MapReduce and everything like this quite early, right? When it was a quite basic technology. Lale always talk about um, what he felt was a, was a, a, a data transparency. In, in Spotify, I like the way to deal yeah. with data. So one part of this story I, I think has to do with from the get go, you were very, very early with, with, the, with the big data technology stack, which fostered a culture of data transparency and, and, and a savviness around data. So you really grow up on, on, on this new data AI first society macro life cycle. You've been following another S curve is what I would say, you know, this is the industrial era and you were already following this. And, and some of these things, I don't know, flukes or whatever, creates, a, is part of the culture, part of the DNA, like data transparency, autonomous teams. And uh, yeah, there's another thing. Yeah. And this whole industrial, like the factory approach to data and tech, you know, which I think is some, that's part of the success, I would argue. What, what, I'm trying to rephrase Lale a little bit. You, yeah. you, you probably heard it before. Yeah, but it's a it's a it's a good point, and I think this. Uh, yeah, of course, like this having all the data like in one place. Like, I mean, it's going to be like, makes it easy for everyone like to do. Of course, to like, innovate. Yeah, on. to innovate and like we join with the data, like able to like the yeah able to access all the data and like can work with it as you like uh, yeah like uh, like in, yeah not needing to go like to all these different databases and different teams like to get the data. Of course, that is uh, that is a huge win as well. Yeah. And I know like, I know like something I remember from Lalle, like working with him was that he's like, he had such a big emphasis on also like, creating like more the, like the core data, like, and more as an interface as well. So because yeah. like, I mean, the upstream data from the clients could change, but you want to have more like a stable interface then to the, to the end yeah. data access. I mean, uh, that's like, yeah. So there's a couple yeah. of brilliant stuff, which is quite techy, right? That has sort of enabled, uh, there's a lot of enablement, like transparency and stuff like that, the tech stack. That sort of, uh, I, I think is part of this, uh, part of this, you know, ingredient in the secret sauce. I, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's very hard for me to say if this yeah. like is the ingredient that make them like Spotify, yeah, like, I mean, exactly. uh, have the number of uses it has today, or if it's like that's more, like, I mean, it's of course like from the inside and work with it, it's like, it's been hugely, like, I mean, it's been great for like uh, enabling like, uh, like the development of data and so, yeah. but I mean, then like, I mean, if that has then a, uh, like a direct relationship then on like the Spotify yeah. as a business. It's because then of course you have the whole business side and how you're managing to actually get all the catalogs and all that, that, exactly. that, that is a huge job. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, uh, again, like, um, this, like there is this, like the, the podcast, like the Spotify product story that talks a bit about that as well. Mm. Cause I mean, that's nothing I have worked with. It's hard for me to like, uh, it, like share any, like personal insights or so, but I mean that, that podcast is very good and like explains part of that as well. Cool. <laughs> 
It is really good, actually. I, I must. Um, I need to go. Really, that. I haven't. Yeah. I haven't heard that. Yeah. Yeah. It's really good. The, the, the Spotify product story by Gustav Söderström. Söderström. Available on Spotify. Yeah. <laughs> on surprising. Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> How surprising. Cool. Uh, Anders, um, I think we, we have to turn to, to uh, the, the last kind of questions that we have. And um, the next question would be, what's up next in your life? Privately, professionally, what's going to happen in coming months? Yeah, so it's, uh, I'm going to go on parental leave. That's Oof, what's uh, Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Good. That was a very relevant question. Second or third? No, third. Third. Oh. But I'm, gonna, I'm working a bit more, so I'm going to, but in February... Can uh, can go on parental leave. So I think right now it's more like to be honest, it's more like maybe like handover. I like think about like the the Q one a bit, and then uh, then I'm gonna go on parental leave. So it's nothing. Like, I mean, I'm not gonna be involved in. I'm not. I'm not ramping up like something not, really nothing big. Nothing new. Right ramp. Th- yeah, you're okay. ramping up on yeah. on another front. Yeah. Any any plans for the parental leave? Um, I mean, if, if it's a third kid, perhaps you can do some stuff during the parental leave or. Yeah, continue working uh, on hydrasbevaktning.se or something. Or? Yeah, I think that's like that's what I've done uh, partly on the previous parental leaves. So I think that's uh, like probably nothing major, but like uh, I'm I'm hoping to actually try out some of these like demo things I mentioned, like this like maybe the like this like location prediction or um, yeah or this like the the housing like time and housing queue prediction search function perhaps. <laughs> Maybe uh, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to do any. I think the front end thing is going to take too long. So it's like it's not going to be good. So it's uh, uh, awesome. But that's. Uh, I mean, that's the that's the bigger plans like uh, ahead. Cool. And that sounds great. Anyone that you would uh, recommend or would like to have l- us invite into this show that you would like to listen to yourself, perhaps? Yeah. I mean, so so one thing is, I mean, we. I mean, we both worked with a lot of like excellent people at Spotify. I mean, and that's like what's been so good with working at Spotify yeah. as well, or one thing. Yeah. So, I mean, of course there's like, uh, I don't know if you, uh, like, like, uh, like from the old analytics team and so, like, I mean, uh, many of them are working like uh, now in very interesting other places. Like yeah. uh, many of them are at uh, Cree, for instance. Like yeah. the, I think that would be interesting. Like talking with them about like medicine and like- Like uh, or someone or- Yeah, for instance, yeah. yeah. Uh, or- um, uh, or Ludwig or William perhaps. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ludwig is there as well. I don't know. And uh, otherwise, I mean, if I if I were, were to name one person, otherwise, I think uh, Jens Lawson at, at who's course. currently like at uh, Tink. Uh, is, uh, Didn't he just switch? Or is this okay? He's at Tink, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, I saw something on LinkedIn. I'm not sure oh, yeah, what yeah. it was, but yeah. Maybe it's uh, yeah. Okay. But Maybe it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, but he is. Uh, I remember Jens Larsson. He, he was like the the magician of uh, BigQuery as well, and he worked at Google before, and he, he knew a lot about the internals of BigQuery. I remember, and he could write these kind of insanely complicated kind of BigQuery queries. Uh, That's right. Uh, so he went to he went to like he was like he's uh, or like after Spotify he went to like Thinkas, mm? believe head of analytics, I think. Mm? Then otherwise, like besides that, because I mean, they, like, I mean, it's like, great people, but like otherwise, like personally, I, I, I think it would be nice to also hear something from like the Swedish automotive industry, oh. like maybe with autonomous driving. So I don't have any connections, but that's like yeah. would be interesting to hear. Maybe like maybe from Scania, but I, mean, I think otherwise, like, maybe from uh, like Volvo as well would be interesting to hear. Yeah, like, we, I mean, have, uh, we have some connections, maybe. <laughs> yeah, like this, I mean, also like the Volvo. Like, I mean, they had this partnership with Uber. Like, I mean, how? Yeah, like, uh, there's, there's, there's many things, and we have Einride. Yeah. Einride, yeah, for sure, conti- for sure, interesting company. Yeah. 
some people from both Spotify and Spirit Space Corporation at uh, Einride. At Einride, right? Yeah. yeah. It's a cool company. You think any of these kind of self-driving car companies have any chance against Tesla? Tesla and Elon Musk kind of companies. Say yes, please. Spotify <laughs> had, therefore, otherwise should, right? Yes. That's good. <laughs> good answer. Good, good ending. Uh, uh, good. Awesome. It's been a true pleasure to have you here, Anders and Iman. And it was uh, quite some time that we saw each other last, but nice to see you again. And nice to see that uh, it's progressing really well in Spotify as well and with the search team and everything. And and I must say, I mean, you're an extremely knowledgeable person, but also a very humble person and very nice person. And uh, I wish uh, more people understood that. And I think more, a lot of people have uh, during hearing your comments here as well. So uh, thanks, Anders Nyman. It's been a true pleasure. And I hope you stay on for some time for our after-after work as well. It's been my pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you very much.